This episode is supported by Dove. Narrow beauty standards have permeated our feeds, perpetuating beauty ideals that can't be achieved in real life, which impacts girls' self-esteem. To help combat this, the Dove Self-Esteem Project is taking action to support the next generation so that they can have a positive experience on social media by providing free resources to parents, mentors, and educators. Dove is tackling the issue of digital distortion with Reverse Selfie, a film rooted in new research on body confidence from the Dove Self-Esteem Project. They're also providing a new confidence kit so that kids and parents can navigate social media with confidence and have a more positive experience online. Head on over to dove.com slash the selfie talk to download the new confidence kit and helpful tips to have the selfie talk today. But Alex. Yeah, Shane. Let's begin this episode. Let's do it. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband, Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree podcast, episode 91. 91 and we're having fun. 91 and we're having so much fun. This has been 24 hours of fun, Shane. Like specifically. But we'll get into why we've had so much fun a little (laughs) bit later. We'll get into why we had fun. But again, this episode, like always, is fun. And it's a great one. I know I say that every week, but I feel that every week, truly. This is a pelvic-related thematically. Yeah. Yeah. Pelvic floor, peeing your pants painful sex after baby problems all of that is addressed in this episode with not one but two amazing knowledgeable and super interesting experts so needless to say i sat this one out you don't have any vaginal questions shane well i do but they're all idiotic (laughs) and uh, it would only infuriate the listeners so where is the clitoris Wow, geez. Alex. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, first up, we have Dr. Sinead Dufour. So, she is the, like, bottom line, she is the pelvic health specialist in Canada. She teaches and leads research outside of McMaster University in Hamilton. And we talk prolapse. We talk pelvic girdle pain. We talk the Amcella machine. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but I actually, I got contacted by a a place, a pelvic health place in London, Ontario that has this machine and it's called the Amcella machine and it's supposed to help your pelvic floor heal. So we talked about that and I brought up this place called Eurospot. So it's just, it's a great conversation. She is so interesting. And it's funny, Dr. Sarah Tiramaco, who's a chiropractor who we have had on this podcast, I think twice before, she, when I was doing the interview with Dr. Sinead Dufour, Sarah was taking her course and like doing a virtual course that she was doing. And it's funny because then our second expert that we have on the podcast, who is Nikki Bergen of The Bell Method, she studies under and is the mentee of Dr. Sinead Dufour. That's hilarious. Everything, well, it's, I guess it's not funny. But I'm not being sarcastic. Everything, everything I say sounds sarcastic. No, every well, I said it was hilarious, not hilarious, but everything is connected. So Nikki joins us. She is from The Bell Method, and I know so many moms follow her. It was recommended that I check out her courses and her page, and she's she's phenomenal and everything she does is phenomenal. So we talk about her own birth story. And a lot of the interview is actually about what she's gone through. She went through IVF. We talk about what that was like for her. We talk about what the births of her children were like. And then we get into pelvic floor stuff, like what women can do to minimize pushing, to strengthen their pelvic floor in pregnancy and in postpartum. And really, if you have pelvic floor questions, if you asked me pelvic floor questions when I was prepping for these interviews over Instagram, they're all answered in here. They're all answered in here, plus so much more. So 
they're fun to listen to and you're going to pick up a lot of knowledge. Well, I'm intrigued. But right now, let's pick up this drink and cheers it. Shane, okay. Cheers, my love. This is from, do you remember that bartender I told you I started following? Max Max Koobs? Absolutely not. All right, he's a guy from Montreal. I'll kill him. And he hit me up over Seedlip. Overseas, oh. he's married. His wife is a doula. And he is another Seedlip partner. And he is like a bartender who specializes in Seedlip oh, drinks. I know who you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. So, Very so cool inspiring. Man. So he made this drink. It was like a, a spritz. So he used uh, Seedlip Grove 42. And then a type of kombucha that I couldn't get my hands on. So I used Seedlip Grove 42, non-alcoholic, and Rise brand hibiscus and rosehip kombucha. And what we have here is a floral, citrusy, delicious, summery, spritzy drink. Well, what do you think? I don't know if I like it. Why? Because I think I love it. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> I do love it, and I'm glad no. you do too. No, it's it's great, and uh, I, I do love this drink. But now let's get into the opening. Let's right. get into the yeah. opening. And you, I, I just got to say, this drink is flirty. I'm not often going to just describe a drink as flirty. You are touching my knee right now. <laughs> okay, but what are your topics, Shane? What do you got for us? Father's Day. Father's you know, Day. Something happened to me this year that's never happened to me in my entire life before. What? Someone whisked me away on a trip. Ooh, yes. And it's something I've done for many people in my life. But I've never had it done back. I've never had the favor returned until now. And if anybody's curious who whisked Shane away on this romantic getaway, it was me. Yes. Yeah, so it felt almost illegal because we <laughs> oh my God, yeah. we went to it post and pillar. The pillar and post in yeah. Niagara on the Lake. And it is an amazing it's it's weird because it's in some ways it's the most old school classic mm-hmm. place. But in other ways, there's like you have like a digital butler. The TV does everything in the world. Like you can make reservations on the TV. You can text the concierge. Yes. So, but it is it's basically like us the a spa out of mm. my my dreams because there's this movie called Youth, oh, which yes. is just like a fun spa that a Harvey Keitel goes to and just relaxes for a week and has drinks and massages and things like that. And you took me there. Yeah. And uh, it was open and operational. We had to interact with other people in the real world. From a distance, obviously, and like masked and everything. Like Shane and I are still very, despite the people that we were talking to who were maybe not on our side, we we are still <laughs> very much playing it safe. Well, I will admit to this. I did shake a man's hand <laughs> under the pool. <laughs> Uh, like in the water. <laughs> yes, in the water because he said you can't get COVID uh, under the water, and I was like, no, you can't. And I don't. Someone sticks their hand out. It's hard. I'm so awkward. It's it's impossible for me not to. Also, this guy was very overbearing, and I think Shade. Like I think you just didn't want to cause problems. <laughs> well, it's not that he was overbearing. It's Are you that kidding? okay. So we got into a pool conversation, and this man was very outgoing and. But right off the bat, I could tell his angle because he was like, oh, I got my second uh, vaccine today. He's like, you know, enough is enough. I'm like, "Okay, I know where he's going. He's like in the economy. He's like, how much longer can this last? And I'm such a you know, I don't I don't know anything about anything. So I'm like, tell me about it. So he can't tell what political side I'm leaning to, which is obviously more liberal i mean i'm i have tattoos long hair not even more liberal like you are incredibly incredibly liberal minded and i know nothing about the dow jones or the housing market so when he's talking to me 
and I'm being aloof, he misinterpreted that to I was a more conservative person. Mm -hmm. So at one point he said, you're not liberal, are you? (laughs) And I felt so weird. I was just like, I'm whatever you are, sir. (laughs) Because I don't don't want to have awkward conversations when I'm on vacation. I don't want to get into a political argument. Not that I would even know how to navigate or have a political argument. We didn't even want to talk to this guy, but he wouldn't he wouldn't stop talking to us. Well, but then whenever he'd ask a question about Shane or about us or about our family, whatever, he'd ask it. Shane would be, I don't know, five seconds through an answer and then he'd turn around and say something or just deflect and start a conversation about something else. Like this guy was a selfish conversationalist. He was he was like a brute, Shane. Like he was not a cool person. Well, he he added me to Facebook afterwards. So <laughs> you know he did. At the yeah, no, I knew he took your information, but I didn't know he actually added you. Yes, he did. You don't remember? We're he, creeping his Facebook after this podcast. He couldn't figure it out actually, and then he asked me to punch in my own name. He like threw me his phone. So funny. Yeah, you know that. So he could be listening to this pod right now. So I don't want to offend anyone. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a it was a fun trip. It was interesting having these weird social interactions, and uh, it, it, it honestly it felt illegal. It did feel illegal, and you know we had, you know, not illegal but sinfully delicious food. We were drunk. We had martinis, babe. We had old fashions at like five o'clock in the evening. Like we were feeling good. We even got special coffees, like to keep us awake and like oh. hyper at like nine o'clock at night. It Coffee was like at nine o'clock at the night. The cliche: parents are out for one night and they're jamming <laughs> a year's a year's worth of activities into twelve hours. But it's funny because our activities were solely just like hanging out, having laughs, and having drinks because we ate early. So we made reservations for dinner at five o'clock or five thirty. So everybody's still like, you know, out and about around the pool area, whatever. So we go have our dinner in like an empty dining tent outside. Finish dinner. Zero people at the pool because everybody's having dinner at a respectable time. Yeah. Shane and I had the pool to ourselves until 1030 at night. It was like, I felt like we, and honestly, I felt like we were like add some like private oh of course and and if like we were on display because people were eating around us they since i guess the dining area mm-hmm. is restricted they have to lengthen the dining area so they extended tables around the pool so people are dressed up in like guys basically wearing like a tux a yeah. woman's wearing like a ball gown by a pool and there's just me like with my <laughs> long hair my tattoos and we're tickling each other with water noodles <laughs> And so we're people watching and they're people watching us. And this one man, he didn't get on one knee, but he made this big presentation. He got a necklace for his girlfriend or fiance or wife. And she didn't either. She was embarrassed because of the display of affection or she just didn't like the necklace. But she was extremely awkward when she saw it. And he put it around. He stood up and put it on her neck. And it took him like half an hour it to, took figure, him so to long get the clasp on. And to get her hair out of the way properly. And who did he look like? The situation from Jersey He looked like Jersey the situation, Shore. yeah. And he was taking all these photos. And she was just mortified. And, and Well, here's the other thing. So he's taking all these photos. And then he'd like lean across the table to like fix its placement hanging on her neck and everything. And she was so... Here's my thinking though. So the server was serving their table when he gave her this gift. So I'm thinking they're dating. 
She thought it was going to be a ring. She got really excited. It was a necklace. She was disappointed. And then she was further disappointed because the server is there serving them and getting every emotion. And like we're in the pool looking at them. You know what I mean? It's like it's a weird situation. This guy was not playing it cool and he was not reading the room. No. But it was all very fun. Oh, it was so fun. It was so fun. And I was so out of place there. Like <laughs> You were like, everyone's looking at you. It, it was as if people thought I was in some like... They thought you were in a band. I swear to God. Of course. Because oh, my hair's so long right <laughs> yeah. now. And tattoos. And it was just like, I felt like I was on display. But I enjoyed... I, I, it was just fun. It know? was. Okay. Did you feel like it was like a romantic getaway? Because I, I tried to make it... Like, I gave you, I didn't even ask for a massage back. Like, I, like, gave you a nice massage with Thai lemongrass oils at night. And, like, well, I, I, sh- think I, I tried to make you. I think I It's not like you could have asked me and I could have responded. But did you feel like it was a romantic getaway in your honor? Or did oh. you just feel like it was, like, a... No, of course. You catered to me. And it was just, we we did everything. Like, I, like we ate the best meal ever. We had True. the best drinks. We I, I had a like a spritzer, a beer, a Caesar. A martini. A martini. The best wine ever. <laughs> oh my god, the best wine. Wait, we gotta talk about the wine. Pearl okay. Morissette. Oh, Pearl Morissette is terrific wine. Yeah. It, white wine. I didn't even know I like white wine, but here I am. Yeah. Liking white wine. It's it's honestly like the best Chardonnay I've ever had. And again, I didn't know I was a Chardonnay lover, but apparently I am when it comes to Pearl Morissette <laughs> Chardonnay. So we have all this like this weird concoction of drinks as parents tend to do when they're like <laughs> one night out and of course you have to eat all the food of course and then you have to have the late night snack too so then we went out and got a chicken buffalo wrap yeah we got takeout from like the only pub in town with onion rings <laughs> just because we needed to do everything we had like a quick dance party for 10 <laughs> minutes the massage then we wake up and we're like we have to have tea no no sorry <laughs> I I wish we did that we woke up had this very lavish breakfast. Like so heavy too, because it was included. Because I got this package that included dinner and breakfast. But f- you could choose from their full menu, like it, at the Pillar and Post. Like no, it's, it's not like a set thing. Like you get to choose. It's beautiful. This food is no joke. It's no. amazing chefs must work there. And the breakfast was very, you know, buttery and creamy. And, and just like a sausage, delicious. like massive sausage and like lots of pastries. Everything, everything you could think of. And then 10 minutes later, you're like, I want to go to the tea room. And it's like, okay, it's it's 100 degrees out. And like, okay, the Prince of the Prince of Wales, which is another like historic, beautiful hotel. They do an like an afternoon tea, like a, a proper tea. And we like we both love tea and we love tea rooms. And this is like such There's, like a I don't love tea. No, no, you love you love tea rooms. not tea, but like you love an afternoon tea, which is the meal. <laughs> it's the meal. It's oh, not I like just that. a drink. It's like uh, afternoon there, tea is like just it's like the meal. There was a restaurant in Hamilton called the Tea Room. And I used to go there every Saturday and I would have this chicken pot pie that was amazing. I would have an Empire cookie and uh, well, what else would I have? So I would have like a glass of milk, a Diet Coke. <laughs> like I would do, I had this weird pattern where they all knew me and I was like this very eccentric guy who was obsessed with the tea room. Well, and, ho- and hold on, I got to crowbar this in. They called you Dirt Nasty, who we ended up interviewing for this podcast, Simon Rex. 
Yes, that's why we interviewed him. <laughs> that's how I found out about him. Anyway, we're all over the place. We're clearly still on a high from having gone out in the real world. People listening are like, what are they on right now? But oh, yeah. So we went to a tea room because mm. I hadn't been to one in years because once the one in Hamilton closed, I wasn't exactly seeking yeah. one out. Again, we, it's like a hundred bucks for two people. I know. And uh, they just stack up all these pastries and Devonshire cream and scones. Little sandwiches. And it's so um, little sandwiches that taste amazing with like cucumber and cream <laughs> cheese and salmon and ham and cheese. And it's just way too much. It's it's way too much. And we ate it all happily, <laughs> drank all the tea. And uh, how amazing was that tea, babe? It was, it, it was excellent tea. It's okay. If you ever go, it, we got the Heavenly Cream Tea. They said it was their most popular and it just sounded great. So if you're listening, imagine this, okay? So it's black tea flavored with bergamot, bourbon, and vanilla. Bergamot, bourbon, and vanilla. Like three of the most it's beautiful, deep flavors. It was incredible. It was incredible. But, but Shane didn't get to this part yet. So it's like so hot outside by this point and we're already full from breakfast so we are like double stuffing our tummies and mildly hung over and mildly hung over and sitting in the heat it <laughs> and is you were doing the classic thing like... no i was feeling good at that point shane alice was doing the classic thing where she was like you know what i don't even feel like i had any drinks last I night didn't. okay so <laughs> at that point i seriously felt great i'm telling you i felt amazing at that point it I, wasn't until the drive home that I started feeling I yucky. I don't believe... You almost fell asleep while driving. I know, but that's... I started feeling yucky on the drive home. Before then, I felt amazing. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. Okay. <laughs> Anyhow, so it was so hot that, like, the chocolate on top of our cheesecake is, like, totally melting. Our sandwiches are getting sweaty. The deviled eggs are starting to, like you know, solidify. So I'm just throwing everything in my mouth, trying to eat everything as fast as I can. And honestly, Shane, that's why I think I felt icky on the drive home. Yeah, I, I would say that's a good deduction. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I want to thank you right now on air because that was uh, such a great trip. I like time's obviously flying right now for everyone. Time has no meaning. Mm -hmm. But that trip went by like I know that. Well, it's funny because so I told you about it a week ago. The Friday prior to our trip is when I told you about it because that's when I had booked everything. And really, I got to say and make this known, it was only possible because of two babysitters that really help us out so much in our lives. So Roseanne and my mom, Lorna, Roseanne stayed with Lucy for the night and my mom and my dad took baby Betty and Betty is has never taken a bottle before and they took her and I did. Uh, I had to convince them a little bit, but not much just because they're so helpful. And they took her because they wanted to give us a break. Yeah. So and thank it, you to everybody. Like we are very spoiled to have mm. so many people wanting to watch our kids, watch our children, <laughs> especially like, you know, I don't know when like Betty's basically a newborn. She, I, she's I, almost a year <laughs> still that's so young it is so young and uh, for someone to take that on is is so nice and cool. uh for us to feel like we were single again to get a glimpse yeah. into that world and uh just to I'm be not single free. again babe we weren't we weren't swinging but like childless again yeah that's what i meant to say <laughs> you're gonna get the wrong but idea it did feel in a way like i was single because it mm -hmm. felt like i was dating you no 100 100 you looked great yesterday and i'm not just saying this because mm -hmm. father Day weekend. No, I'm I saw to the mirror. Butter I know. your bread, but you 
No, looked, I looked in the mirror. Yeah. I know. You I'm look kidding, fan- no, you, Shane, you look fantastic. And I did have fun flirting with you the entire time we were gone. Like it was so fun and flirty, much like our drink tonight. Like just so fun. <laughs> Always <laughs> slipping in the seed lip ahead. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but uh yes, so I think we need to live a life of leisure. You know, inertia <laughs> inertia is a thing. Once I start doing something. I want to continue to do it. So if we had had a weekend where we just worked our butts off and felt really good at how much we accomplished, I'd be like, we need to work more this week. But now that we didn't, I just want to relax and be like, let's always just be chill and easy going about things. And we have to go back to that place. We have to. Before like a substantial period of time somehow. I want to almost be like looked at as a resident or how we how we are in Prince Edward County where people right. somewhat know us people people kind of know us like I have bartenders and servers and that things like that people in the hospitality industry some of them know us because we go there so often yeah. for years and I Niagara on the lakes only an hour away it's so and easy Prince Edward County is like three and a half hours away I know. and the restaurants are just good in Niagara so maybe we just say this is our new spot pillar and post it's way easier babe Okay. And here's the thing. I don't always have to get the super expensive package. I only got the super expensive package this time because we needed to try out their restaurants and everything. Yeah. But we could go spend the money on the room and then just get the pub food. But that restaurant was so good. The restaurant was so like, good. Oh, my God. If we go again, we have to go at least two. Like, let's say we went for seven days. We <laughs> Is this crazy? That's crazy. Okay, it can't be done. What's the, well, what's okay, the longest what, amount like, we can go well, there for? Well, let's, like, I think... Uh, what three nights there is reasonable? Is it? Yeah, because then more than that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well here's the thing, babe. Here, okay, the place I really want to try, it's not in Niagara on the Lake, but it's more of the youth vibe. It's called Saint Anne's Spa. Listeners, I can guarantee some of them have been there. Does it have a pool like a hot spring? It's got a ton of stuff, but it's more of the youth vibe. Youth, the movie you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we should watch that movie tonight. Let's watch it tonight. Okay. Let's open up a bottle of our new Pearl Morissette wine and watch Youth. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Weren't you on to something there? Weren't you talking oh, about yeah, I, yeah. Well, yeah. No, I don't know. I'm, I'm conflicted. I, I do want to spend more time there. I, I really loved it. Everybody but you don't was think super five lovely. Days is possible? I think it might be too much. It's such a little area. Such a little town. But here's the thing. You and I don't need much. All we need is good food, but we a make body it, of water. And we're like, one day, today we're going to read by the fire. Oh, or my play God. That's, here's the thing. I forgot people could be so leisurely. Like, mm-hmm. like that's a thing. We could read by the pool for a day. I forgot. Yeah, that- if we just made rules, like even by the fire. Because <sighs> if it's going to be in the wintertime, they have the most beautiful fire there, too. Oh, my God. It's it's a gorgeous place. Shame we got to do it. We got and I agree. We will go back. What about in like September? <laughs> I like how it went to me being ridiculous and three days being the max in December to now it being like we have to do five days in September. Well, I'm not saying five days, but let's do September. Okay. Even for a one nighter. Okay, but all right. Well, if you're if people are willing to babysit our children. Well, here's the thing. We thought Betty wouldn't be able to take any bottle. She just hates formula. She took a bottle with milk. Yeah. Happily. So there, problem solved. Okay. So now that we had this experience, which was basically our first big experience being integrated into society, what do you, when we get our double vax, because this is just us mm-hmm. on a single vax, yeah. what do you think is going to happen when we're double vaxxed? Like, 
do things just go back to normal? I know New York is already back to normal. How, what does this look like? Are, are you prepared to jump back into um, air quotes reality? Mm, honestly, and I know so many people like hate masking and stuff. I'll mask in certain instances, I think, because I'm freaked out about the Delta. And- oh, of course. And I think you'll still probably have to mask. Yeah. But what I'm saying, are you ready to masks aside? Like, let's pretend masks were invisible. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to integrate back into society wearing a mask? Are you ready? I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I have a lot of conflicting feelings about that. I don't know. In some ways, heck yes. And in a lot of ways, I'm like, oh, wouldn't this be fun if like the people we were talking with like across the pool were our friends instead of like these weird Trumpy people. But, and I would have much preferred that. But yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting because I don't know how I'm going to feel. I know that I will feel way better about things. But, like, I don't know where my lines, my drawn lines will be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think we're just going to have to feel it out and see what feels right. What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't know. And it's it's hard for me to imagine what it's going to be like. And I know a lot of people are like, from now on, if I ever go on an airplane, I'm wearing a mask. But I've I've read that it's actually the safest place to be is an airplane, the way they recycle the air. Really? Yeah. Like, and, you know, I'm just literally talking up my ass not literally uh (laughs) jim carrey right now yeah um (laughs) but that's what i've heard right right no (laughs) like i I said but there i have not read that article but i would like to Mm -hmm. but uh anyway that's all i really had for the top which i think we've we've talked yeah let's get to pelvic floor let's get to but who's first we got dr sinead defora up first but before we get to this interview let's tell everyone who we are supported by we are supported by My Breast Friend. My Breast Friend is the number one choice of nursing pillow for millions of parents around the world who nurse their babies. But Alex, what is breast spelled B-R-E-A-S-T? It is not. How do you spell it? B-R-E-S-T, ah. no A. So for more than 25 years, my B-R-E-S-T friend's patented wraparound design has supported people in over 40 countries and thousands of birthing hospitals to support successful nursing. Lactation consultants around the world credit the pillow for helping parents achieve longer and more comfortable feeding cycles than they thought possible. And Shane and I can attest to this. We love my breast friend pillow. It's simply the best, most supportive choice for successful breastfeeding. Now, breast is in the title, but men can still use it as a nursing pillow when they're bottle feeding. So this pillow can be used by anybody and however they feed their baby, not just chest feeding mothers. But again, you can purchase My Breast Friend online at buybuybaby.com, target.com, walmart.com, babylist.com, and amazon.com. Okay, and now let's get to Alex's interview with Dr. Sinead Dufour. I am so happy that you are able to sit down with me today. So thank you so much for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very excited. So I have a friend who is a physiotherapist, in a, a chiropractor, sorry, in Rochester, New York. And I mentioned that I was speaking with you today. And she just finished, I think, a, like a two-week or a one-week course with you last week. Oh, yeah. So that would have been uh, my pregnancy-related pelvic girdle pain yes. course, probably. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, very good. Okay, and... I'm fascinated. So I wanted to ask you about that because you were talking about pelvic girdle pain and it's Mm -hmm. not, it doesn't have to do, she kind of briefed me on this a little bit, but it doesn't have to do with relaxing. Yeah, no, it really doesn't. So do you want me to just start there and just kind of launch into it? You know what? I'm so fascinated by that. And if you can, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. 
So yeah, we really have kind of thought, like we, the collective we, scientists and healthcare providers, that given the name relaxin and sort of that informs its function, right? It softens the tissue, right? To prepare for baby. The thought has been, you know, making a, a quite a big leap of an assumption that, well, if relaxin kind of softens tissue, then maybe for some people it softens the tissue too much. And if tissue is too soft and too loose, maybe that's why some women get pain in their pelvic girdle when they're pregnant. So, I mean, it kind of makes sense that we would come to that. But the fact is that now that we have tried to really test out that theory and that hypothesis, we see it actually doesn't stand true at all. So we see that women who have higher levels of relaxin, they aren't necessarily the ones that have pain. We actually know that relaxin peaks in the first trimester. That's usually not when people have pain. We also see that women who are pregnant with multiples, right? And that was certainly my situation. I, I have twins. They have three and a half times fold relaxin as their singleton counterparts. They have less pelvic girdle pain than, you know, so really when we tease it out, the theory just doesn't hold. We also see that pregnancy related pelvic girdle pain, it happens much more consistently in a second pregnancy. It happens much more consistently when there's job dissatisfaction. It happens much more consistently when there's previous trauma. So the fact, the risk factors, none of them have anything actually to do with the biomechanics. So we see it much more as an issue where the threat response system is up, which is very much consistent with all our pain conditions, actually. So it really does fit into our evolved notion of, of pain science. It's just that most people have been so conditioned to think about it as this biomechanical kind of problem. So they try to approach it with a biomechanical solution. And oftentimes that then isn't particularly helpful because it's not a biomechanical problem. So yeah, so certainly trying to help people to, to understand that. I, and I have a job dissatisfaction. Like, mm -hmm. so it, there's, there's a mental aspect is what you're saying. Like, yeah. So what we know about when we are in a state mm -hmm. where we are not feeling like satisfied or fulfilled or kind of our needs are being met, you know, that has certain implications for our physiology, for our biology. So, you know, I would say our cognitive state and that state actually is our bio biology. We can't really separate cognitions or mental from physical because really they're one and the same. So do we recognize that that state absolutely has implications for our physiology? And those are going to be things that, you know, what we call sensitize our tissue, make our alarm system go off sooner. Absolutely. I would still call that a physiological problem, though, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. the mental is the physical. So, yeah, absolutely. yeah so absolutely. Okay. See, this that was so fascinating to me when she said that kind of blew my mind a little bit. And, you know, I, I love talking, I mean, and I'm a total lay person, but I love talking about pelvic floor health. So I've now had two pregnancies. Okay. In my first pregnancy around month seven, pain started getting really bad, really bad. And I had a hard time walking. I had a hard time doing everything. I had to go off on maternity leave a month early and it, it was brutal. And I'm a very, like, I, I'm an athletic person. So this was so new to me. And I wasn't used to my body responding in this way. And then in my second pregnancy, everything was exacerbated. And the, the pain was, it was 
almost too much to bear. And I've been in and out of um, pelvic floor physiotherapy now since I had my first daughter. And thank God for it. I didn't know about it prior to having the pain. And I can't believe that more people weren't talking about it. But it has been a saving grace for me. However, now I'm really having trouble. And like people that listen to the podcast, people that follow me on socials, they know like with incontinence when I try to do sports, when I try to run. And it's so hard and it's so annoying. And so many people in the community have similar issues. So I, I was curious, you are a you are a pelvic floor physiotherapist. I know you study at McMaster or like you lead research at McMaster. Yeah, I'm a professor okay. at McMaster. Okay. So I, I teach there mm-hmm. in the physiotherapy program and the school of medicine. So I teach the family docs and then I also conduct research. So yeah, half my time I'm spending in my academic role and then half my time I'm the director of uh, pelvic health at sort of a family of clinics called The Womb, The World of My Baby. And I run my own, so I oversee that, but I, I run my own busy practice out of uh, our Burlington, Ontario location. Okay, wonderful. And I had a couple of community questions before I get to one of the main things I want to talk to you about, which is the Amcella chair. Is there anything that women can do either pre-pregnancy or during pregnancy to mitigate pelvic floor dysfunction? Yeah. So like there, there's quite a few things actually. So I would say one of the things that there's good data for, like good science, it's actually part of our recommendations, the recommendations, even with the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists of Canada, highlights that, you know, if you have individually sort of um, tailored sort of pelvic floor muscle training, that that is something that can set you up for a better pregnancy, a better birth and a better recovery. So what does that actually mean? Well, individually tailored means that, you know, someone has done an assessment. So the best type of assessment to have is actually an in-person assessment where we can actually internally check all the different parameters of your pelvic floor. That having being said, through COVID, we've had a lot of research show that virtual, if you have a very skilled clinician who can kind of talk you through some virtual things, have you fill out some questionnaires, that we can actually get really pretty good assessment and care and individually tailored care actually without doing a physical exam. So physical exam is like the best, but that's not to say that the next best isn't still some type of individualized care. You know, that's very different than you jumping online and kind of looking at what it says a Kegel is and kind of trying to do that yourself. Right. So if we are individualizing, you know, a program of care, because we're getting some insight, does your issue seem to be it's more of a strength problem? Does it seem to be that your tissue isn't responsive enough? Does it seem to be it's a coordination problem for you? Um, We're going to want to tailor our treatment to exactly which facet of, you know, training you need for your unique body. So we have good evidence for that. But we also have really good evidence for what we even refer to as like novel movement and mindfulness interventions when women are pregnant, because it can be a really nice opportunity when they're pregnant to really start to tune in and listen to your body in a way that you maybe haven't with exercise before. We see that sort of novel movement and sort of mindfulness movement it reduces sort of um, the stress response, it reduces maternal anxiety, it reduces pregnancy related pelvic girdle pain, which mostly is an upregulation of those systems. So some women kind of come into pregnancy 
And the type of exercise and movement that's maybe familiar to them is very adrenaline kind of producing activity. It was for me, for sure. Yeah. Right. And and so, and there's nothing wrong with that. And there are lots of benefits for that type of movement, but you know, it, it is a form of movement that requires a lot of energy that really pushes excess cortisol and adrenaline. And when we have shifted and some women too, like, let's say for runners, Runners for some women who are kind of addicted, they're like cortisol junkies, right? Running is almost their meditation. And that's great. And that might work for you when you have an energy system that can support that. But if that is your only way to kind of clear your mind, and you really haven't cultivated the skill to really just be and have other ways, you know, pregnancy is a nice opportunity to get other ways because your energy system is taxed in a way it's never been before. And so this is where a lot of women might run into, like you were saying, towards the end of your pregnancy, your energy system was trying to tell you it can't handle what you're asking it to do. Mm -hmm. And this is your time to start embracing other ways of moving, other ways of kind of being right to actually probably help you more in your labor and your birth. Right. And so if we don't know how to respond to that and we think, oh, it must be this mechanical problem. And, you know, Mm -hmm. because really pain is a communication tool. It's just telling us something's not quite right. That's all. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, lots of things we can do in pregnancy. We can embrace it as a time to actually start learning other ways to move and exercise that we might not have done before. Um, And that's really, really important because cortisol and adrenaline producing exercises aren't the most appropriate, usually towards the end. And if your body's telling you it's uncomfortable, it's trying to tell you that. (laughs) And then of course, the individualized pelvic floor muscle training. And then of course, walking, like good old fashioned walking, a minimum of 150 minutes a week. Like it's a non-negotiable, you know, we need women doing this and women who aren't hitting that mark they consistently do less well in birth. They consistently don't recover as well. We need to be fit and conditioned well. What What is less well? Is that like pushing longer? Is that needing? So it's a variety of adverse outcomes. So more interventions and interventions might be Pitocin, epidural, mm-hmm. longer second stage, higher degrees of tearing. So just a variety of outcomes. You know, we see with our women whose um, fitness systems aren't doing well. They don't do well. It's very, very obvious in our groups with gestational diabetes and obesity that are like very specific classifications of people that can be studied. Mm-hmm. We see it very obvious, but certainly those of us who are clinicians, we can even see it with our clients who aren't hitting those minimums of movement and their biological systems just aren't as fit. You know, they don't do as well. Right. So we certainly want women moving and being fit, but we also want women to understand that when your energy system is taxed, you know, it's not the time for cortisol and adrenaline producing activity. That is just not the time and place. And usually your body will tell you that by pain. It's just that most women don't know how to interpret that pain and they think it's relaxing. <laughs> right. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, not only that, but it's like, you know, you think it's relaxed and you attribute everything to that. Like everything it was, it was, oh, it must be the relaxing. Oh, just like with my hormones. Right. I mean, I'm still using that as a kind of coverall for everything I experience in postpartum. But I even think of pelvic floor, anything like pelvic floor therapy, like when you're pregnant, people just say, oh, better start doing those Kegels, better start doing those Kegels. And that's 
before I really started speaking to a therapist, that was my entire idea of what pelvic floor therapy was. Just Kegels mm-hmm. solely. Yes. And for then sure. when I started seeing a therapist after I gave birth, I said, okay, so I guess I got to start those Kegels, right? And they said, well, actually, no, because they had done an internal exam and everything. And they said, your pelvic floor muscles are very strong. They are too strong and they're strong to the point where they aren't able to relax. So they were kind of just like, I guess, like flexed and like a bot. Like if you're always walking around with a flexed bicep, that's kind of what my pelvic floor muscles were doing. So I had to work on relaxing them. And I was doing a lot of exercises to help me relax them. And you mentioned how, you know, people need to seek out an individualized kind of plan for themselves. So what other forms might pelvic floor physio look like? Like how, how might it look for somebody else other than just sitting there and doing Kegels? Yeah. So, I mean, if I'm thinking of an interaction I might have with a woman, let's say while she's pregnant, right? So one of the things I might be doing with her is assessing her pelvic floor and determining for her, what does she need to do for her pelvic floor based on the parameters we check? So that might be one thing. The other thing I might be doing with her is helping her to understand her pain response system, helping her to understand, no, it's not relaxing. It's this. Do you notice the pain is worse on days you're more tired? Do you notice the pain is worse when you're walking at the end of the day versus first thing in the morning? And I'm helping her to understand the biology. The other thing we'll do is we'll help women to understand what the best practice recommendations are for birth and for their pelvic floor to kind of come through that as intact as possible. Because many of the sort of practices that kind of happen, certainly in the hospitals in in Ontario, really don't line up actually with what the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists of Canada recommendations are. So it's helpful when a woman is aware of what the science says. So that way, if her instincts are actually in line with the science, and they're actually in contrary to what the healthcare provider is saying, she might feel more able to actually advocate for herself because mm-hmm. she's thinking, no, it doesn't feel right for me to, to go lie on my back to birth mm-hmm. this baby. I want to stay on my hands and knees. And actually, I know the data says I shouldn't lie on my back. Okay, I'm, I'm more inclined now to advocate for myself versus them not knowing and then assuming, well, the healthcare provider must know best, right? Mm-hmm. So it's lots of um, empowering and advocacy and knowledge translation to make sure women understand, you know, what does the pelvis do? Well, the tailbone and sacrum are meant to extend and move out of the way to make your pelvic outlet bigger, right? So if you're lying in a position that doesn't allow that movement, you're making an already tricky physics issue, (laughs) even harder because it's an even smaller area, right? So again, there's lots of knowledge translation. There's lots of education around, look, you're going to go in and birth your baby. I'm going to want to see you around four weeks after you birth this baby. So what are some helpful things to think about in those first four weeks until I see you, right? So we have a chance to go over those things. So there, it's so like the tailored you know, pelvic floor muscle training, that's like 5% of what Mm -hmm. I do, right? There's so much more. Why do you think there's that discrepancy between the healthcare that is being provided and the science and what the College of OB gynecologists is saying? Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, anything in healthcare, you know, there's data that shows it takes 10 to 14 years for practice changes to happen. That's part of it, right? So even if we look at the most recent sort of recommendations, 
they were published in 2016, right? So even though you think, yes, that's like five years ago. Yeah, but with the slowness of science and how all the labor and delivery nurses are trained, and then you have hospital policy, and then, you know, there is unfortunately conflict of interest with like medications and like there's pressure to use those and, you know, epidurals and Pitocin and it can be very convoluted, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's why we see the practice patterns actually shift much quicker for home births right. because you don't have all that other red tape, mm-hmm. right? It's less bureaucratic and... Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not that, you know, healthcare providers are intentionally trying to do the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. You know, really too, I mean, hospitals are pressured settings. It's a matter of getting people kind of in and out. And the way they're set up, it really actually is as at odds with the nature of allowing a birth to unfold. Those two are not congruent to kind of have a schedule and a bed open. And now we need it for, you know, so there's a degree of predictability that is almost necessary for those nurses to do their jobs and birth isn't predictable. Gosh, And no. how can we, how can we make it more predictable? Yeah. Well, by inducing and then this and then, right. But, then of course, that's not surprising that then our outcomes are not good, mm-hmm. right? Because it's yeah. not meant to be that way. So it's really, it's it's multifactorial, but I will say things are slowly <laughs> getting better, right? Things are slowly getting better. And the more women can advocate for themselves and the more they have a doula with them, the better usually it goes. The more we're likely to have a birth that's in line with the recommendations, so yeah, so things are changing, but it's it's complex. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, so I went through two inductions and my first I had an episiotomy, which healing from has been was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. And uh it was actually it healed poorly with scar tissue. And it was just like a buildup of scar tissue. My OB was able to amend that during my second birth, but it's still it's still different. Like it's still not the same. Uh, luckily I don't have any pain or anything this time, but that episiotomy was brutal. Although my inductions went really smoothly, like really smoothly. And then, which is great. Yeah. And, and with my second, I, I think I pushed for three minutes and she was at the shoot and it was a great birth, but great. I wish, you know, I didn't even know what an episiotomy was when they asked me. And I was in the middle of pushing. I was in labor. My baby's heart rate was dropping and I was so panicked. So I was like, do whatever you need to. And I think that's the problem with so many women is that we don't know the options that are available. We don't know what we don't know what an episiotomy is before it happens. And there needs to be a level of education, I think, before we go before we go into that and make decisions out of fear, out of whatever you know? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so that is, that is a place where a pelvic PT, like if you were to see someone ahead of birthing, that is another thing that they would do is, is just to make sure you understood what a lot of the common things are. So you're, you know what to expect. I mean, Mm -hmm. even afterwards, there's so many women who will come almost shell shocked because they did not expect that they would be leaking urine. They they did not expect like whatever they were told about what happened through birth and then after birth, it's like there were so many gaps 
and they just feel so unprepared for Mm -hmm. what they're dealing with even after the fact. So, I mean, that's another role that we can kind of help bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when it comes to prolapse, does prolapse definitely get worse with subsequent births and with time and like menopause or can it just stay the same? And along those lines, is surgery always a last resort or is that ever something that is, you know, recommended by a PT? Yeah. So, so great questions. So when we have a situation where one of your three pelvic organs has lost some of its um, stability actually from the top, because that's actually when prolapse starts to happen, right? The pelvic floor takes a hit from the bottom, oftentimes through birth, not always that's the case, but that's usually Mm -hmm. what happens. And then, you know, if the pelvic floor takes a hit through birth, but then you see a pelvic PT, you get your pelvic floor rehabilitated almost immediately after, it's very unlikely you would develop prolapse because prolapse develops over time. And it's the constant sort of buckling Mm -hmm. of the structures with the pelvic floor that's not working, that the fascia that suspends the organs from the top they finally sort of get compromised. Right. And it's when the fascia from the top gets compromised that you start to have prolapse. Mm -hmm. So when we're trying to then correct prolapse, we first need to get everything supported properly from the bottom consistently enough that then the tissue up top, inert tissue can start to reorganize. So is that possible? Absolutely. So I would say if you've birthed, pelvic floor took a hit, you didn't know that there was anyone to help you with these things. So you're carrying on with your life. You're leaking urine, you're leaking urine during high impact activity. You're just padding up and playing on all the while the prolapse is getting worse and worse and worse, Mm -hmm. right? Because the body's telling you it's, it's not being supported and you're sort of just ignoring it because you don't know any better, right? Then yes, it's possible if you are in a a birth and then you're putting a lot more pressure through that again, that that's only going to make that worse. However, if you had that situation, you got your pelvic floor rehabilitated before a second birth, then no, it's not, might not do anything because you've restored everything. So it really depends. And it's why, you know, I love podcasts like yours that are really trying to translate knowledge for people. So people understand, like you can birth a baby and almost feel like, you have like the symptoms of a prolapse. And if someone checks you, it could almost like present like that. But in the fourth trimester, I mean, everything is still just kind of trying to recover. So it isn't really an appropriate time to to make a diagnosis of any kind, (laughs) right? right? So if we in that time can actually leverage everything so you're going to recover really well, I mean, it's unlikely you're going to end up actually having a problem, right? But if you kind of see that and then you get terrified and then, you know, so it's why we really want women to be informed, to know that if they are engaging with someone for conservative care, that it can make a huge difference. When it comes to surgery, the guidelines are very clear that surgery is not frontline. Surgery is what's called second line. So I actually work once a month out of the urogynecologist's office here in Oakville, Ontario. Her name's Dr. Carolyn Best. She's awesome. Her and I are both um, on faculty at McMaster together as well. And so she's the one who does the prolapse surgeries, right? And she doesn't even want to see anyone unless their organ is hanging out past their vaginal opening, which is what we refer to as more than a grade two. Yeah. Right. Because anything, (laughs) anything before that, even if it's coming right to the vaginal opening or or the woman can see it, that's not surgery. Oh, wow. That's conservative care. Right. So she doesn't even want to 
see people like her wait list is too long. She wants conservative care. And the data is very clear with that. Up to grade two is conservative care. Yeah, no, I uh, well, we have listeners in the US and I've had women talk about how theirs wasn't even that bad. They were they were just peeing a little bit. But because it's privatized care, they just go and pay for the surgery because they don't want to do the physio. Yeah. And again, so that might be if it's a surgery for incontinence. Um, so there's a surgery for stress incontinence, but then there's a different surgery for uh, bladder prolapse because you could have bladder prolapse and not necessarily have incontinence, but sometimes they'll go together. But you're quite right. Like here, it is, it's kind of, elective surgery, Mm -hmm. you know, so people can kind of choose if they really want to have that or not. But there's many, many surgeons because the wait lists are so long, that they will prioritize, they'll say you're not a candidate, right. But there's also women who might have like a grade three prolapse, very, very extensive, and they're never interested in surgery. So they'll use a pessary instead, a silicone based intravaginal device that cuts holds their organs in place, and they're good to go. And you can have sex with that in? Yep. So some of them you can, so some you can't have intercourse mm-hmm. with some types you can, and sometimes you can put in and out. So you could for intercourse, take it out. And uh, the only time a prolapse would really bother you for intercourse would really be if it was a uterine prolapse, because if it's rectal or bladder, I mean, that's soft mucosal tissue that'll honestly just move out of the way to the front or back with anything penetrating. It's just, if it's your uterus coming down and your cervix is low and that cervix tissue is like cartilage, it's hard, then that would be very uncomfortable. It sounds so so uncomfortable. Like thinking about that is making me cringe because I can't think of like that just sounds so painful. It sounds uncomfortable. And just I think of too the psychological factors that that would come with too. Like that would make you so, I imagine, just self-conscious and worried and nervous and scared. Like that's that's horrific. Yeah. All right, Sinead, we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we are supported by. We are supported by Mabel's Labels. Frustrated by their children's things getting lost, mixed up, and leaving home never to return, Julie Cole and three other friends knew they could do better than just scribbling their kids' names on masking tape. And things can get stolen, too. That's the thing we don't want to talk about. (laughs) So from there, Mabel's Labels has grown into a market-leading, award-winning company loved by moms and dads and kids alike, and I'm sure teachers and other caregivers, too, because they make it so dang easy just to keep track of stuff. I had my watch stolen when I was in grade three. Yikes. And I found it. I got it back. I wish it was labeled, though. It'd be easier. (laughs) It would be. So Lucy, of course, loves labels because she gets to help me create them online. And we get to make them in whatever shapes with the images that she likes. And then she has a little bit of agency and self-responsibility when it comes to, you know, taking care of her own things. Shane and I love the labels because their line of products features everything from baby bottle labels to allergy and medical alert products, sports labels, household labels, and seasonal items. Like right now, we have goggles and a towel even that's labeled and it's so great for the cottage the guy who stole my watch his name was caleb what a dink that's a name i won't forget (laughs) plus the mabel's labels products are extremely durable they're laundry dishwasher and microwave safe and they're 100 guaranteed so head on over to mabelslabels.ca to start creating your very own labels and use the promo code this family tree 15 for 15 percent off your order they deliver internationally and offer free standard shipping in canada and in the u.s again that is mabelslabels.ca and this family tree 15 protect your child's things and we are also supported by seedlip the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit 
Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip Spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. But if you're recording a podcast, maybe on a Saturday night, it's definitely something you will be drinking. And it's something we enjoy drinking because it's relaxing and zero consequences. Yeah. And, you know, as a non-drinker, it never feels good when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. But now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life or sitting on the couch with your spouse life. So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every drinker. Each of their three variants, so Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grow 42, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so beautifully with just a splash of tonic we suggest fever tree. You have to try this. I know. I know. Or you can make more complex cocktails like the one we made tonight, that nice little spritz, which can be found in the Seedlip cocktail book or on Instagram at seedlip underscore NA. So head on over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 for 10% off of your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. It's available in Canada and in the US. And again, that is seedlipdrinks.com and thisfamilytree10. And now let's get back to my interview with Sinead. Actually, you and I were put in contact with each other through a place called Eurospot in London, Ontario. And they were they were so sweet to reach out, and I really appreciated that. And they have a device there. They call it the, the Kegel Throne. It's the Amsella chair. Yeah. Okay, so I wanted to talk about that because – like I was very excited looking into it and it, it's, it seems nuts. Like it seems like almost in a sense too good to be true, but I am very intrigued in it and I was hoping to talk to you about it a little bit. So is it effective in treating incontinence, urinary incontinence? My answer back would be, it depends, okay. right? And it's kind of the annoying question, the, the annoying answer that everyone <laughs> hates, but it does, and here's why. Mm-hmm. So it is something that we would refer to as an adjunctive therapy, right? So it is electromagnetic stimulation. It's high-frequency electromagnetic stimulation. So it's a very specific type of electrotherapy for the pelvic floor. Pelvic physios have used electrotherapy for the pelvic floor since the beginning of time. Physiotherapists in general use electrotherapy to rehab muscles since the beginning of time. That concept is not new. That sometimes if we can put some sort of neuromodulation into the tissue, we can kind of just get sort of the software communicating a little bit better, right? So that concept isn't new, right? We've been doing this for a long time. But so yes, adjunctive care in some cases is necessary to wake up some people's system. But what's innovative about the Amcella is that rather than our traditional devices that would access the pelvic floor, where you need an internal probe that goes in, either into the vagina or into the rectum, depending on the issue, right? The Amcella chair, because it's a higher frequency and it's a stronger, it's a more technologically advanced type of an energy that it can actually access the tissues of the pelvic floor and kind of the surrounding tissue Mm -hmm. without having to have an actual internal device that goes in. So the benefit of that is you can be just closed and sitting there Mm -hmm. and get, and I mean, the data really shows actually that the higher frequency actually targets the tissue much more even powerfully than our older techniques. But I would still consider it as an adjunct 
Okay. So I would never suggest someone to just go out on their own and buy an intravaginal <laughs> device and stick it in and think that that's going to fix all their problems. Yeah. It's not. But if that is done alongside of an individualized assessment, you've also been made aware that, yes, we want to put some neuromodulation into your pelvic floor structures and all the structures so they're communicating better. But we also want you to understand in your particular case, you also have this going on. You also have an overactive bladder. You need to retrain your bladder habits. You also are not sleeping properly. So the tissue is never going to develop adequate fitness that you'll maintain if we don't get your physical repair sleep better. You also, so it's within context of an individualized plan. And it's like the cherry on top to get their body to right. activate to a way it couldn't do on its own. When it's used in that context, it's excellent, but not on its own. In 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 basic terms then, so not on its own, but it can help kind of, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm just trying to get my understanding. It can help maybe speed up or make more effective just regular like if you're doing it in conjunction with pelvic floor physiotherapy can it help you possibly see effects quicker absolutely and it can okay. get you to we have these different training concepts and one of them mm -hmm. is called overload right so there's a difference between doing an exercise program to like maintain gains you've got versus doing an exercise pro um, program to have to get gains, right? So when we're trying to like get gains, right? It means we have to kind of be at it with progressive overload. And where some women struggle, not every woman, because there's many, many women that can see pelvic physio and they completely have all their issues taken care of. But we see from the data that still only about 50% of women get 100% resolve even with individualized pelvic floor PT. So we have to be honest as a profession mm -hmm. that we're doing a great job, but other options are going to help certain people, right? And I think one of the stumbling blocks for some women is sure they're doing, they're engaging in their individualized pelvic floor muscle training program. Maybe they're trying to address their sleep a bit. They're trying to address some of the tissue tension problems in their hips. They're like, they're trying to do it a little bit, but they're going at it at sort of more of a maintenance level. And so they're never gaining that oomph out of the gate that they actually need. So their results, they get better, mm -hmm. but they don't get 100%. Whereas with something like this can almost give them like, this is your overload training. Mm -hmm. And now if from here, you're able to keep up with your maintenance, right? It's, it's doing something very different, right? It's mm -hmm. an additional thing. So I see it as a really, really exciting adjunctive tool when it's delivered well. I think a, an issue at the moment is, I mean, Eurospot is actually, you know, enacting it in a really amazing way because it's within the context of this full proper care. But there are many, you know, clinics in Toronto, for example, I'm, I'm in Oakville. So there are many clinics in Toronto, for example, who literally are marketing this as just sit on this and it'll fix all your problems. <laughs> and it is not, you know, delivered within yeah. the context of rehabilitation at all. And I think that is a scam. I think that's taking advantage and praying, um, you know, on women who are, who are vulnerable and are having these awful issues. Maybe they're feeling almost socially isolated. They can't do anything. And so that I think is brutal. 
right? But do I think if we are responsibly understanding it, I mean, the research to back it up is pretty solid and there's more studies going, Mm -hmm. you know, there are many things that pelvic health physiotherapists use in their practice that don't even have as much science as this thing does. Right. So, I mean, I think when it's used appropriately, Mm -hmm. it can be an excellent adjunct. And I think for those people who are literally at the point where they're saying, I don't want anyone touching me in that part of my body ever again. I'm done. I want a virtual care appointment. I want an individualized appointment. I don't want anyone touching me anymore, but I want a solution that's going to try to put some inputs in my system to help me do what I haven't been able to do yet. You know, I love it for that, you know, and we've seen some quite good, good results at the different places that, you know, I, I've helped to get this going and your spot is one of them. We've seen some good results. So it's, it's exciting. It's an exciting technology when it's used responsibly. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's, that's one of the first things that I thought of, right? And I thought, okay, I could see this being so helpful, like you said, as a tool. But then the other part of my brain, I was like, oh, people are definitely taking advantage of this. The one thing too, so, you know, this entire conversation, we have highlighted the importance of individualized plans, right? And how we all have a different birth story. We all have different trauma to our pelvic floor or whatever it is. And, you know, I was looking into this. So the way it's delivered and for those listening, it's, I think, like a series, like a six sessions or, you know, a certain amount of sessions. Each session is 28 minutes and it delivers 11, again, correct me if I'm wrong, 11,000 Kegels in that 28 minutes. So that's, did the math, 393 Kegels per minute. And that, how can that be individualized? So, because that seems pretty standard. So, what is it about that number, about that time limit? And can that be changed from person to person, like based on their, based on their needs? So here's what I'll say about that. So that marketing tagline is actually from the manufacturer, BTL, who manufactures the chair. I have actually tried to get a straight answer from their engineering team in terms of exactly how they come out up with that calculation Mm -hmm. and no one's been able to answer me. So to be totally frank with you, Mm -hmm. I actually don't believe at all that that's what this uh, tool is doing. Okay. Right. So I believe what the tool is doing and I've sat on it. Right. A Kegel contraction by definition is a maximum contraction of the pelvic floor held for six to eight seconds Mm -hmm. and let go and then done again. So when you understand what that actually is, it doesn't even make sense. You know what they're trying to say. So what the tool is doing is it's taking, you know, your pelvic structures actually through quite a varied fitness workout. It's not doing the exact same thing constantly for the whole 28 minutes you're there. It's doing this tapping and then it's doing this and then it's doing this. You can feel it, right? So is it putting sort of neuromodulation into the structures deep in the structures that is attempting to induce at certain points, a super maximal contraction? Absolutely. But how that somehow converts to that many, that is again, a marketing ploy. Right. And I mean, it's actually really not a well-positioned one because those of us who understand that a sub that a maximal contraction held repeatedly over and over and over and over again for half an hour is actually not going to be good for many, many people. So people who even have an idea of the pelvic floor would actually be put off by that marketing. But my point is, I don't believe that's actually true because 
you feel this modulated effect when you're on there. The client decides what their own intensity is. Okay. And so that's one way it's individualized. It's not like it goes on to a consistent thing. It's tailored. So each time the person sits on a chair, they might have it dialed at a slightly different thing that sort of matches where they're at. And then again, at places like a Eurospot, they actually do even further. Like, I mean, on top of having it integrated into a plan where there's nurses on their teams, there's physicians on their teams, there's physios on their teams. Like at Eurospot? Yes, they have a full interprofessional team approach. In addition to that, they are very good about even kind of further tailoring it based on someone's response. If someone kind of said, oh, I almost feel like that was a little bit too, like, more intense for me than I expected. They'll say, you know what, let's kind of space out your next couple visits. Or if a person kind of came off and said, yeah, I sort of had to build up to it slowly. Then they'll say, you know what, we'll do an extra kind of seventh visit on there. And we'll just add that on because we built up. So they actually really do tailor it. But again, that's a responsible use of it. These other places aren't going to, it's going to be very protocol based. You're going to have no idea even why you have the symptoms you have and you're blindly sitting on a chair, (laughs) right? So, so again, I don't believe it at all. Does the Kegels. Another reason how we know it doesn't do that is because the studies have shown consistently that even though clients were recruited with incontinence for the studies, most people, most women who have one pelvic floor complaint actually have multiple. And so we can capture that on our standardized questionnaires. So in studies, when they've done the standardized questionnaires, they can track how many women also had painful intercourse, right? You can track that on the questionnaires. So in every single RCT so far, that's been done randomized trial, sort of what was found as an added bonus of the Amcella chair was also that it made intercourse less painful. Well, we know that painful intercourse almost 100% of the time has a component of pelvic floor tension associated with it. So if you truly were doing a protocol of repeated Kegels, 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 Kegels on a tense pelvic floor, and you weren't doing a protocol of balancing out the tissue, you know, making the neuromodulation even out the tissue, then you wouldn't get improvement in in intercourse. You wouldn't get improvement in overactive bladder. And you do, because that's not the mechanism. The mechanism is doing something very different. BTL's marketing is honestly, I believe, incorrect and frankly, unhelpful. Yeah. Well, because that was one of my questions, too, because when I thought of my first pregnancy and being too tense in my pelvic floor, I was wondering, well, how would more Kegels into that degree help me? And they wouldn't, but this chair would help you because it actually balances everything out and it improves blood flow and it gets better communication of your pelvic floor talking now to your bladder. And, you know, if you're getting that care delivered well, your care provider would be kind of telling you how to kind of engage your diaphragm and your brain into the whole process. And it's like a full body individualized care treatment, right? But that's the difference to kind of understanding what is it really doing versus junk marketing. That is actually, again, trying to pray, right? That, that, I mean, mostly BTL markets this product into cosmetic medical centers. It's not really designed or developed for rehab, even though it has incredible potential for rehab. Well, it's not even listed as like under their, um, because I was looking at BTL and under their um, medical and rehabilitation products, it's, it's not even under there. I think it's under their aesthetic products. It is, which is. Interesting, right? So is it a surprise that then the marketing is kind of trying to market to that, right? 
No, it's not a surprise, but it's incorrect. And you can appreciate with that incorrect marketing, Mm -hmm. many of my colleagues as pelvic physios actually are very, very skeptical of it Mm -hmm. because in their mind, they see so many women that they're thinking, I don't want this woman doing repeated Kegels based on what her tissues are doing. So why would I want an adjunctive tool that's doing that? But the problem is that's not what the tool does. And if people really look at the data and see the outcomes, they'd understand that, right? So Mm. I see that more as like BTL's marketing problem (laughs) um, than anything else, to be honest with you. But that's, again, why a podcast like this is so great. So people can kind of understand sort of, you know, how to look at it from a perspective of kind of rehab and also a bit of buyer beware. Like if you are thinking, you know what, that actually sounds like that might be a good fit for me make sure you go somewhere good. Like don't just walk into any random cosmetic medical place, you know, get it in a way that you are going to be able to leverage that technology within the context of an individualized plan that it does amazing things for you. Right. And I guess, so other than, you know, we know BTL clearly needs a new marketing team, but my last question, uh, before I take up any more of your time, what did it feel like? So you sat on it. Like, is it like, yeah, little- I've sat on it before. So again, I mean, I feel like it feels very, very similar to electric muscle stim. And like as a physiotherapist, I mean, I've had that kind of on my whole body. Mm -hmm. So if anyone has ever used like a TENS machine, like even like in your labor or had electrical muscle stim, if you like tore your ACL and you had to go to physio after and they put like the muscle stim on your quads to kind of fire up your quads, you know, or if you've used like a doctor home machine for pain before or something like that. That's actually what it feels like, that little gentle electrical current kind of coming through and rather coming through like the sticky pads that you would kind of traditionally have in physio. It's just coming through the spot that you're sitting on, but that's kind of what it feels like. And as as it goes through the different frequencies and tones, it has like a slightly different kind of feeling, but that's essentially what it feels like. And I saw online, some people were calling it an orgasm chair. Is that because it gives you orgasms or because it helps make sex better or like less painful, ideally? Yeah. So, um, so it does mostly because of the outcomes, the outcomes of less painful sex and better orgasms. Those have been accidental findings, Mm -hmm. but I mean, it makes sense if we're actually improving the neuromodulation through all those structures, you know, and waking everything up again. Mm -hmm. And almost it's like, you're getting like the Wi-Fi signal between everything working better (laughs) again. Right. Well, it kind of makes sense that that would be a spinoff effect. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And studies have shown that it is. And anecdotally, we see from patients that it is. So, so that's, that's more why it kind of gets that, you know, discourse around it. Well, I had to end off with the spicy question, but thank you so much, Sinead. You were so illuminating and, and I really appreciate all the information today. Like that was awesome. Thank you so much. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much, Alexandra, for having me. And I'm, I'm really glad these conversations are getting started because they're needed. So oh, thank yes. you. Absolutely. Well, enjoy the rest of your week and again, nice meeting you. Yes, you too. Take care. Bye. You've done it again, Alex. Good job. job. (laughs) Thank you. So Shane, she convinced me, I think I'm going to go to this place and try this chair. And okay, so it's very cool. So after this interview, Sinead It's like the Sibian from Howard Stone, right? (laughs) No. But after this interview, Sinead, Dr. Sinead DeFore, she actually offered to do my like my physical, my checkup and see what I need. And, you know, like offer, she essentially offered to be my provider after this and she's hard to book. So that's like incredible. And then she said, look, I know the people at Eurospot. 
if that's right for you, I can get you on that treatment for free. So it's going to be interesting if it's right for me because, you know, she is she only thinks that it's good. The Msala chair, if you need it and like as kind of an assistive tool. So we'll see. But I kind of just want to try it out to see what the, you know, to see what the fuss is. But it's very cool. Sinead has been wonderful. And I'm excited to schedule an appointment with her. Well, I hope you get the best treatment that's right for you. And <laughs> Thank you. I know you're getting it free. And a lot of people are like, oh, Alex gets everything for free. But you're the, you're guinea pigging for them. I'm guinea pigging. <laughs> so you will report back and say, yes. hey, yay or nay. And you'll give your honest opinion. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But now this next interview is with... We have Nikki Bergen from The Bell Method. But before we get to Nikki Bergen from The Bell Method, let's let everyone know who we are supported by. We are supported by the Miku Pro Smart Baby Monitor. This is a monitor you need. It is the most accurate sleep and breathing monitor that we have ever come across, that I have even come across in reviews online. They make no physical contact with your baby because they use this like military grade sensor fusion technology. And like Shane, you know how have you seen, like have I ever shown you reviews for like when I was looking for monitors, like the Owlet or the Nanit, things like that, which are big monitors, but they all require you to put something on your baby so that the monitor gets the info. It's so annoying. And I just don't want a monitor touching my baby. Really, I don't want anything in the crib with a baby, right? Like safe sleep, hello. So this does it just by looking at your baby. It's incredible. And it works with your smartphone to alert you of changes to your baby's vitals and nursery conditions. And it is, it's just so quick. Plus, what's her favorite thing about it, babe? That it reminds me of the movie Terminator, how when he's going through a room, he can see everyone's vitals. That and the hacking thing. Oh, hackers can't get in. (laughs) I didn't even know they could do that, to be honest. And now that I do, it freaks me out. And I'm so glad they can't when you have the Miku smart baby monitor. Of course, because they use crypto security. So it is virtually impossible for hackers to get in, which makes me feel so comfortable at nighttime. And of course, the monitor has amazing HD video and photo and great night vision, like the best we've ever seen. Like the Terminator has when it's nighttime. (laughs) It's true. So they also have custom dual Ole Wolf speakers and a two-way microphone, which means Miku not only plays original sleep sounds and lullabies, but allows you to talk to your baby in a comfort them without, you know, having to go upstairs if it's just like a really quick wake up or something. So it does make parenting so much easier and so much more comfortable. So head on over to mikucare.com and use the promo code FAMILYTREE10 for 10% off. This is available in the US only. And again, that is mikucare.com and FAMILYTREE10. But we are also supported by Mini Miosh. Mini Miosh is a premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. I love so many things about Mini Miosh, but one of the things that is particularly awesome is how easy it is to put on your child. Yes. How great <laughs> it looks on your child and how soft and cozy it is for your child so they can be dress clothes and pajamas at the same time. Yeah, like Lucy can essentially wear her mini mosh dresses like out for dinner to a photo shoot and then to bed because she Essentially, has a, yes. Yeah. Uh, hypothetically, that's exactly what she does, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> but everything is so fashionable. Everything is so timeless and they can be passed to kid to kid. You know that they're going to hold up because the quality is amazing. They use organic cotton fabrics that are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes. They're 
They're on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it, and they believe that every little bit counts. You can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code ThisFamilyTree15, you're going to get 15% off your order. This is available in Canada and in the U.S., and again, that is minimiosh.com and ThisFamilyTree15. And now let's get to Alex's interview with Nikki Bergen. Let's get into it. So, Nikki. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so happy to have you. It's funny because I've been following you for a bit, but I had, I was talking about pelvic floor issues a little while ago and I got, I don't know, I bet 75 people messaging me right away and saying, follow the bell method, follow the (laughs) bell method. You're going to love it. Nikki's great. And I was like, okay, this is awesome. And you do post such helpful, awesome content. So first of all, thank you for that because it does make me feel less alone in my pissing my pants when I'm trying to go for a jog issues. And I love feeling seen like that. So thank you. You're very welcome. I am here for you and we can we can help you, lady. You do not need to <laughs> quote unquote piss your pants when you go for a job. Perfect. But Nikki, I want to get into something first. So I like asking women who are coming on here who are mothers themselves just a little bit about their own journeys uh, or a lot about their own journeys, however it goes. But for you, my first question, what is the biggest disconnect between what you expected motherhood to be and what it has been. And this could be any part of it, you know, pregnancy, postpartum, raising older kids. That's a good question. And I love that you're like, I didn't send you these questions in advance. I'm going (laughs) to let you think about this on the spot. We can edit things down. (laughs) No, it's okay. I actually, to be honest, I mean, I don't really think anything about motherhood his I'm, I'm an older mom. I had my kids at 36 and 38. I feel like there's a benefit. You're older than 30? I'm, I'm for turning 40 this year. So I feel like I have a benefit in some ways that I have a lot of life experience and I heard a lot of stuff before I became a mom. So I actually haven't been that surprised by mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. I kind of knew going into it, it was going to be a bit of a shit show, but what prepared me the most, I have to say, was IVF. That was what was the biggest shift Mm -hmm. because I always assumed it would be easy to have kids going through that, navigating that journey, I think was one of the best in hindsight, of course, I didn't Mm -hmm. feel it at the time was one of the best ways I could have prepared for the aspects of parenthood that are frankly beyond our control. So that was really where I had a huge mind shift. And now I'm kind of like, hit me with it. I got it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) no, absolutely. And IVF is something, so we've spoken about it before on this podcast, it's something we haven't experienced, but we do have close friends who have experienced. I know that it is so difficult in so many different levels. So that was like some people kind of know that they're going to have to go the IVF route, but that was a surprise for you. Like that's something that you guys had to take as as it kind of came. Totally. A hundred percent. A huge surprise. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of those things that you don't expect that you're going to have to deal with. Right. And, and frankly, like a lot of the advice is always geared towards women. Like you need to eat this and do this and relax and blah, blah, blah. And it's also one of the things that shifted for me. And I actually had a call with a friend of mine because now I actually deliberately put IVF mama on my Instagram profile. And I don't know why, if I really, if I actually do know why, if I really analyze, because it has really shaped the person that I have become. And I want to put that out there because I want it to let women know that just by reading that, a lot of them will reach out and say, 
you know, A, I'm, I had a, a transfer. I'm anxious. I've, I've had a previous pregnancy loss. I've had a miscarriage. I want them to feel like they can talk to me about it because they understand that I understand mm-hmm. and that I've lived it. And, and they do. Yeah. And, and a lot of women, and I know because I felt that way too, I felt very alone in the process. Mm-hmm. And so I am the, one of the things I really do want to do is try to make other women feel less shame because mm-hmm. there should be no shame less alone and, and to, to know that like, you know, there are positive outcomes that can come from the journey. And did you have those feelings yourself when you were starting to go through IVF and kind of surprised by the fact that you had to do that? Like, did you feel alone? Did you feel any shame towards, towards that process? I felt alone. I didn't feel shame, but I felt like some, even my dad at one point made a comment like you exercise too much. You know, you don't eat enough meat. It's your fault. Meanwhile, we had sperm issues, chromosomal abnormalities, and yet it's always geared towards the woman. Right. And it would, it, it actually, if I'm always honest, Alex, it lit a fire in my belly to sort of talk more about it because so many women internalize something wrong with their body yeah. when I'm like, let's be honest here. Like there are many factors at play. We need to stop quote unquote blaming women for these issues. Well, it's like even with miscarriage. So I've suffered one miscarriage and like people, I, I don't even think they realize that what they're saying can be hurtful because I, I think it truly does come from a place of trying to help. But when you're grieving, especially something like a miscarriage, when you're grieving to hear, oh, well, maybe it's because you do this or maybe it's because this happened. Maybe you should stop breastfeeding your other kid. And it's oh, yeah. it's hard. It's hard because you don't want to be the reason. Like you love it. Like not everybody, but like I bond really quickly upon becoming pregnant. So when I had that miscarriage, I was so bonded with that tiny little cluster of cells. And then when it stopped growing, I was devastated. So to think that like you're blaming me, I love this like thing that's not even a thing yet. And like, this isn't me, it's not my fault. It's, you know, for whatever, whatever other reason. And I think that that is something that is so difficult, regardless of what people are going through in pregnancy and motherhood. That's something that we, we, I think we probably face a comment like that once a week from somebody, you know, whether it's online or. I'm so sorry for your loss. And I hope that you have been able to process it. And, and I know that there's no timeline for these things mm-hmm. and it, we shouldn't have to qualify a loss. A loss is a loss period, whether it's four weeks, whether it's four months, obviously there are different levels of, of, you know, struggle that mm-hmm. can happen, but a loss is a loss. And so I hope that you know, you don't feel alone and that you don't feel shame. And I'm sorry mm-hmm. that you have to deal with those unsolicited comments. People just need to to say, I am sorry. And one of the best things I I say, you know, said, did that baby have a name? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, like things beautiful. like yeah. that, because yeah. it it's, it's not like, oh, well, it's for the best or everything happens for a reason. Like those platitudes are F- horrible. F your reason. Like you don't need yeah. a reason for, you know, something tragic to happen ever. Um, for me too, it was, it was all cause I dealt with it with a lot of humor and I actually don't have many feelings towards it now. And, and it is so easy for me to talk about because our, our youngest baby came from that loss essentially. Right. So it's hard for me to be sad now or grieving still when I have such a wonderful baby that kind of came from that. Do you know what I mean? 
Everybody is different. And so, you know, mm-hmm. I think that there is no right or wrong way to grieve. I think the overwhelming mission is that we feel like we can talk about it and, you know, you're not alone and yeah. it is not your fault. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And it, one thing, Nikki, that I find uh, about you, and I mean, I'm not alone in this, but you are exceptionally exceptionally positive and joyous and it's like going to look on your page and it's just like there's smiles everywhere it's awesome you feel good looking at it seriously and i'm just curious like going through something like ivf that's that takes a huge physical toll a huge emotional toll were you able to maintain the positivity that i see through your instagram account were you able to maintain that throughout the process but there's definitely some other shit in there that's not positive, my friend. So if, you, if you scroll, you'll see there's pictures of me like crying while trying to feed my kid. Milk, Absolutely. You know, because breastfeeding was a struggle. So there's definitely some stuff in there. I think, I mean, I've had my other challenges as well. I had to do heart surgery at four months postpartum. I've been through some stuff and I think it's all... You know, one of my favorite mantras is it's not what happens to you. It's what you make of it. And of course, there are going to be moments where you're like, screw this. I didn't sign up for this. What is this crap? (laughs) But I do believe that wherever we choose to focus our attention, that grows, right? It's like watering a seed. Mm -hmm. If you water it, it's going to bloom and it's your choice, right? If you're on the highway and you keep looking on the shoulder, you're going to start to drive onto the gravel shoulder. It's like you drive onto the shoulder. Okay, now just just do a little recorrection back on the highway. Mm-hmm. So I think I think it's normal that we we kind of veer off onto the shoulder sometimes mentally. But the question that I have is like, how, what is it that you need to do to get yourself back on track mm-hmm. in a better headspace? And I think that's about resiliency, and it's it's a it's like a muscle you can develop it. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And you know, we were talking mentioned briefly what not to say to somebody when they're suffering a miscarriage, something like that. We have a lot of listeners actually who do not have children yet and, you know, are either going through the process or have friends that are going through the process as well. A common question that I get from them is what shouldn't I say? What am I saying that's wrong? That's more hurtful to a friend who's going through IVF. So what is something that people that are going through that process do not want to hear that is a common thing that people say there's so many (laughs) okay where do I start okay so first of all here's what you do okay you tell your friend listen I am not going to say that I understand because I haven't lived it but I am sorry it's shitty you don't deserve this it's not your fault and I'm here for you and if you really want to be a good friend you can even take notes of certain days and don't call them, just text them to be like, you know, they're going to have like their transfer, like even texting someone an emoji, mm-hmm. like a heart or like the prayer emoji, like that goes a long way. Sometimes they may not want to talk. They may not want to have to explain their meds and the, all the shit that you're frankly not going to understand unless you're in it. Mm-hmm. Just say, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of you. I am sending baby dust and prayers your way. And I'm really sorry you have to go through this. And I'm here for you just, you know, that's it. It's not more complicated than that. Don't give advice. Don't tell them to eat more kale or get acupuncture (laughs) or, you know, oh, well, my friend's sister's mother-in-law, you know, managed to have twins after miscarriage and you, it'll happen for you too. Don't make comparisons. Just say you're sorry. It's shitty. It's not your fault. And I'm here for you. Mm -hmm. 
No, see, and it, and it seems so simple. And then I even remember before I had kids, the things that I would say to my friends or my cousins with kids or the ways in which I would kind of help but not help. And it's just so, it, you really have to be in it. And I think there's so much learning that comes with with all of that because it is so 1, tricky. 1,000%. Yeah. yeah, 1,000%. And I, I actually was having a phone call the other day with a friend of mine who is has gone through two IVFs. She's now 43. She's getting really concerned. She's She had a history of chemo before. Like there's a lot mm-hmm. of factors. Yeah. All right. And so, you know, she's like, if one more person tells me to relax, if one more oh, person, God. you know, all of these things, it's really hard. And, you know, and assumptions too. And I'll be honest, like having, if I hadn't gone through what I've gone through, I for sure would have been one of those annoying people that would have been like, oh, well, this Chinese medicine doctor might really help you or, oh, you, and, and I'm not just, not to shit on that. It yeah. might actually help you, yeah. but you don't think that that person's already done some research. You don't think that that person that's going through it is literally like, if you tell me to stand on my head 10 minutes a day, I will do it. I will do whatever it is. You know, the experts will tell me that I need to do. But you just kind of being like, oh, you know, I had one person I used to write for Half Coast Canada and I had one person I was sharing my journey and they're like, oh, relax, have a margarita, eat a cheeseburger. You're too stressed out. And I was like, there is not. And of course, like the whatever, the the troll keyword troll people. But I was like this. There is not a more patronizing and Mm -hmm. in sort of out of touch comment. And that's just, that's obviously a little example, but that mentality exists. Well, if you weren't so stressed out, it would be working for you. And if you blah, 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 blah. Right. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's, it's some people too would, would share advice with the best of intentions, Mm -hmm. but it's just not going to be received in the way that they hope it's going to be received. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And, And again, those are the people with the best intentions, not the people that are condescendingly giving information because they think they know better. Or had they been in this situation, they would have handled it differently and they would have, you know, been a success by this point. And that's that's a that's a totally different type of person, I think. And you know, something else I'm curious about in this process, your partner. So how does a how does your partner go through that with you, I guess? And were you at the point where you were able to ask for help when you needed it and ask for support when you needed it. Because I know that a lot of women, even just in postpartum, they have a hard time looking out for themselves and kind of keeping their partner up to date on how they're feeling and what they're going through. It's not easy. And mm-hmm. and our, our IVF journey was very difficult. It was definitely a strain on the relationship. There's a lot of, I think that it can be really difficult. You know, we had a doctor essentially say, oh, it's your fault when one person in the couple is to blame and then that person feels a host of being guilty and whatever. And it's not, it shouldn't have been like that. It Mm -hmm. shouldn't have been handled like that. Everyone's situation is going to be unique, you know, and everyone's personality is different too. So I I feel like it's hard for me to just give a generalized advice. Mm -hmm. I do think it's important to find support where you feel like you're going to get it the most. For me, I actually created a, a separate private Instagram fertility account. And I met like probably about 200 other women going through IVF at the same time as me. And that was my lifeline. And then these are women that I actually ended up meeting two of them in real life, which was awesome, but that was my lifeline. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with looking for support 
outside of your relationship mm-hmm. because you want to talk to people who are going to be going through the same surgery as you and the same procedures and the same, you know, and for me, I wanted, I wanted to be able to do that. And so it, that was a really, it took a little pressure, I think off of my partner because mm-hmm. I wasn't really trying to get him to understand. I kind of was finding some, some support elsewhere. And I also had a great psychologist who's a friend of mine who I would speak, speak to as well. And, and that was helpful. Yeah. And sure. is that, is that community kind of, uh, is that gone now? Like, is that account kind of null now that you're over it? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. And so it's one of those things for people in the fertility world, like you kind of, you're in the fertility world. And then as soon as you conceive and you have your baby, you are completely out of the fertility world. It's like a world that you, it becomes, you step in, it's like jumping into the deep end of a pool and you're swimming and you're treading water. And as soon as someone pulls you up out of the pool, you Mm -hmm. quote unquote, have your healthy baby. You're like, I don't ever want to go back in that pool again. (laughs) So, and and it also can be painful, you know, frankly, like I'm not going to now go and post pictures of my toddler on that account because there are still people struggling. Right. Mm -hmm. So it just felt, it felt like, it's so sad, right? At the end of the day, there are going to be a few that it works for, and there's going to be a few that don't. And and it, it can be hard too to maintain those friendships. I had a woman in Vancouver, we were getting to friends, whatever. And she even said, she wrote me a really sweet, like handwritten letter. And she said, it's too painful for me to stay friends with you. And I 1000%, I get shivers even telling you the story, but I feel for her. She still has not been able to conceive and she's now in her like mid forties. So it may not happen for her, but yeah, it's just it's one of those things that it's a, it's a bizarre sort of world. Yeah, you know? no, absolutely. It again is from the outside. It's something that I even get nervous asking about because I don't want to say anything wrong because you don't know what you can do that is hurtful. And I had a friend who was going through fertility issues and we've spoken about it at length. So I feel comfortable speaking out about this you know, situation. And that was something I'd ask her, like, do you want to come and hang and see my kids? Do you want family updates from me when we're just chatting as friends? And for her, she found solace in in those things. She found solace in seeing kids and in being around people that had kids. And she now has her own son, which is super amazing. And she's trying for a second. But it was it was a tough, tough journey. She had multiple miscarriages. I think she eventually had, I think, four miscarriages. And just it, it was a horrible situation. And you want to tread lightly. But then as a friend, too, you want to offer yeah. Warm. You don't want to be, right? you want to ghost, right? You don't mm. want to ghost that friend and just yeah. be like, I don't know what to say. So I'm just not going to call you for a year. Like, you don't yeah, want to no. do that. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, it's dumb. <laughs> so I think that was amazing what you did. You actually said like, I want to check in with you. And, and also just, I find texting, I mean, not that many of us call each other anymore. Cause that's so what, like 2003, but <laughs> we, you know, to say like, I'm just going to text and and also no need to respond. Yeah. Respond exactly. when you're ready. Right. Like things like that. Can, can go a long way. Or if you, someone's having a baby shower, hey, I know this might mm-hmm. be shitty for you. I'd love you to be there, but I also fully will not be offended if you're like, I'm not going to come. Mm-hmm. Something like that, you know? No, absolutely. And, you know, here's maybe where my etiquette isn't up to par. I am a caller. Nikki, I'm a caller. <laughs> <laughs> you're I a talker and a caller. <laughs> I surprise call people. Like, I have a girlfriend who lives in Ottawa and, like, of course, COVID and everything, but we don't see each other as much. I might see her once every two years, but we were best friends growing up. I call her at random, maybe five times a year, total random. And I'll sit on the phone with her for like a half hour because she usually has the time. 
And she never thinks it's weird because she's just kind of come to expect that. But other people in my life, I'll call them and they'll be totally thrown off. Mm -hmm. And it's much like starting, I guess, the conversations with you. Maybe that's where I get my interview habits from, where we just kind of I start rolling mm -hmm. right away. But <laughs> I'm never I'm never worried about that. I love I love the surprise call. I love I don't know. I think there's a spontaneity to it. And I like what people just say when they're not sitting and analyzing a text message over mm -hmm. and over, you know, I think there's something special about it. I mean, you feel free to call me anytime. You may hear a complete gong show in the background of Mommy, no, he didn't, right? Like there, there's also going to be a little bit of that element. Yeah. You know, if you're calling someone, I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old and I think you do too, yes, right? Yes. So exactly. yeah, I mean, you know what it's like. Oh, it's, it's a shit show constantly. Yeah. So I think people know to expect that, but I like the slice of life as well. But, you know, I, I think about everything in the IVF process. And I'm curious if you don't mind sharing, if you do, it's totally fine. But what was the hardest aspect for you? I think it was the uncertainty, to be honest, right. because we spend our lives. I'm a pretty, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for like 16 years now. I'm a pretty sort of, I'm going to say, like, if I set a goal, I will put the work in and it will happen. Mm -hmm. I believe that I can create my own destiny and my own reality. And IVF doesn't work like that. You can throw in all the effort, the money, the resources, whatever. And there are still going to be so many things that mm -hmm. you cannot control. And that was a really hard thing. This whole thing of surrendering the outcome was very difficult because, again, we have this belief, especially I think in, in our culture and Western culture for your, you know, you, you look at you. I mean, you're, you've got your business, you've got a podcast, like you're mm -hmm. like, I'm going to do this. You put in the effort. You create it and it happens. Yeah. Well, it doesn't work like that with fertility. And so it's this, there's this learning to surrender to the unexpected. And there's this learning to sort of trying to stay open and trying to trust in the process, a process you don't have control over. That was very humbling and very challenging. So that was the hardest part was this sort of like, what do you mean I can't just throw more effort and time and mm -hmm. money at this and fix it, you know? Yeah. No, but then how did you do that? Like if you were, it, it, it sounds like you're kind of describing yourself as like a type A person. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> See, I'm I'm completely opposite that. I uh, It's hard for me to even imagine being like that, but I want to be in a way. I really want to oh, be. Really? Oh my God. No, you'd hate my life. I'm so disorganized. Everything's in shambles all the time, but I'm like happy coasting. Anyhow, if you're in a situation like that and you're so used to that control, that the knowing, right? And just having the knowledge of, okay, this is going to happen next if I do this and I can be prepared. How do you allow yourself or give yourself up and surrender to that uncertainty? Oh, practice a lot of meditation, a lot of psychology, and maybe some counseling and some therapy, <laughs> reading some books. Mm. One of the books that I really loved was a book by Gabrielle Bernstein called The Universe Has Your Back. And it was just, and actually my daughter's name is Gabrielle and partly inspired by that because it was this need to let go and, and this choice. You, mm -hmm. you have a choice whenever, and this is, this is hopefully anyone listening. This isn't just for people going through fertility. Mm -hmm. Anytime there's going to be things in your life that you can't control. Always. Everyone is going to have a situation like that. You know, you felt it, I'm sure with your, with your pregnancy loss, you can't control certain things. It's how am I going to react in a way that's going to 
be the best for my physical and mental health, right? How can I choose to trust that even though this is really painful right now, that there is a plan that's bigger for me down the road? You know, trusting in that moment is, I think, so difficult. But once you finally are able to do that, Mm -hmm. it's like a weight is lifted off your shoulders. So for me, that was, and, you know, that was what really has prepared me in many ways for what it is that I do now. I teach a lot of women every, you know, eight weeks, we have a new course, pregnancy course. It's like the push prep course. And and even like preparing for birth, for labor, for letting go, like there's a lot of parallels we can draw to the importance and the strength it takes to be vulnerable, Mm -hmm. a la Brene Brown, right? (laughs) (laughs) Queen. But Uh, And I want to get to what you're doing now. But before I do, it it sounds like a lot of, I mean, a lot of what you said, you mentioned Eastern medicines a few times. I don't know if it was just anecdotal or if this is something in this book, um, you know, universal thing. Do you have a lot of beliefs and do a lot of your, I guess, does a lot of your worldview come from that kind of Eastern? No. I mean, no. Nope. <laughs> I mean, sounds I like I it's not an ask. No, no. I mean, no, I don't think so. I think, I mean, I do, I do think that I still am like, no, I think if we, we work hard, you apply yourself, yeah. you know, there's a lot that you can create. I do believe we can create our destiny and we can manifest the life that we want. Mm-hmm. Maybe the manifesting aspect is a little more Eastern, if you will. <laughs> But I mean, I still am someone who's like, I would like to be a little less ATAP. I would like to meditate a little more. I would mm-hmm. like to check fewer emails at 11 p.m. You know, there are <laughs> there are some Same. things that I know I need to chill yeah. the F out on. But I have developed a huge sense of, of compassion, both for myself and for other women who are struggling. And it might not just be infertility, but most of my work involves working with with pregnant and new moms. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is a population of women that we all need to show ourselves much more grace, much more empathy, um, and just to surrender and, and recognize what is the serenity prayer, right? What is it that we can and cannot control and try to only con- concentrate on changing the things you can actually control? Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And now let's get into what you do. So you are, of course, the founder of the Bell Method, which has been, like I said, recommended to me so many dozens and dozens and dozens of times. <laughs> and awesome. uh, so so that is exciting. So can you please explain to our listeners, you know, what is what is your background in and what is it specifically that you're doing now? Sure. So I'm a Pilates teacher. I've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> I started out teaching dance. I was a dancer okay. and then I injured my knee when I was about 24 and I discovered Pilates. It helped me rehabilitate my knee and I fell in love with the movement modality, you know, methodology. Mm -hmm. And I, and sort of started authentically loving it, doing it, getting trained in it. And then I ended up right after I graduated from my, my Pilates certification, which took me six months to do. So a lot of people are like, I did my Pilates in a a weekend. I'm like, no, you didn't, you didn't. Um, (laughs) So there's anatomy, like there's a full apprentice (laughs) drive by. Yeah, no. And this is a challenging thing in our industry too, because you know, there are a lot of quick, quick and dirty courses that, you know, so it can be hard, right, for people to know sort of the, that person's education level. Long story short, I graduated finally. Um, and I had been working in a studio, a dance studio for many years, and I knew I wanted to try something different. So I ended up purchasing a big piece of Pilates equipment called the Reformer. Um, and I had a, a separate 
attachment. It looks like a big torture device. Anyways, I ended up calling this. I was still in my mid twenties at this point, calling a bunch of sport medicine clinics being like, Hey, do you have Pilates? Do you want Pilates? Oh, I have equipment. (laughs) You know, it didn't take me long. So I ended up the first place right at a school I worked at was a sport medicine clinic. And in hindsight, it was the best possible thing because I was, it was baptism by fire. I mean, I was seeing people that I had no business seeing, but I had to study mm-hmm. every night before I was like, oh, tomorrow you're going to see, you know, a 60 year old with osteoporosis who just had double hip replacement. And oh yeah. And then you're going to see a firefighter with a herniated disc. And then you're going to see someone who had a motor vehicle accident. And then you're going to see a 17 year old who has scoliosis and a rod in her spine. And I was like, what do I do? And I had to learn so much so quickly. So I would study these charts. I would talk to the physios. I would talk to the chiros and I had to figure out how to program movement for these bodies. Mm -hmm. And then eventually these people would run out of insurance and they would say, I want to keep working with you, Mm -hmm. but I want it to be more affordable. Can you start doing group classes? And I was like, sure can. So I had to create a group class that would be really informed, you know, trauma informed and, and informed with like, how can I work these people out and give them an actual workout in a way that's safe and accessible, whatever. So that's how the bell method was born. And then I started getting more pregnant women and postnatal women showing up to class. And I was like, I got to do something separate. You guys are over here. You're in a different category. And so it all happened very, very organically. And it happened well before I had kids of my own. Mm -hmm. And so, and then it grew and grew and grew and and here we are today. So that's that's the very short version. (laughs) No, that is so amazing. And honestly, just thinking about being in your position, uh, seeing all these different people, like I'm getting nervous for you in the past because I'd be (laughs) so scared of screwing up. (laughs) That is, that's amazing. And I do think trial by fire works the majority of the time in most situations. I think it's the best way to learn. I do. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. It was, it was definitely, I'm grateful for that experience and, and grateful I didn't screw anybody up. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. All right, Nikki, we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we are supported by. Hello, Bello. Being a parent is hard. Ooh, you said it. (laughs) Like really hard. So when you go to get diapers to prevent the next eventual blowout, finding a diaper that's absorbent and soft without spending a fortune shouldn't be just as tough. Do you know what bothers me? What? Not enough diapers are stylish. (laughs) It's a serious problem. (laughs) And Hello Bello has the most stylish, cutest diapers on the planet. And it seems frivolous. I get it. I seem shallow. But it <laughs> matters because the children actually want to put them on. No, it's it's awesome. And truly, Kristen Bell and Dak Shepard, who co-founded this company, built it on the simple idea that all babies deserve the best, the best style, as Shane might say, but also the best quality. And that's why they offer premium baby products at affordable prices. So their diaper bundling service, which we use, lets you choose from over 20 fun rotating designs, which your kids will love. And each bundle comes with seven packs of diapers, four packs of plant-based wipes, and even one full-size product freebie with your first order. Plus, anything you want after that, you get 15% off. So all the add-ons like the bubble bath, the wipes, the diaper ash cream, the detangler, they have so much great stuff and you're you're gonna love it. Like we, we love every product we've ever had from them, including, and I highly recommend, the laundry detergent. But To get Hello Bello super soft, super absorbent, and super affordable diapers delivered right to your door, 
Go to hellobello.ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree30 30. for 30% off 30%. your diaper bundle order. That is a huge bang for your buck and a lot of potential blowouts saved. That's correct. That's hellobello.ca, promo code thisfamilytree30 to start bundling with 30% off your first order. So don't forget that's hellobello.ca, promo code thisfamilytree30, and this promo is applicable to Canadians only. But we are also supported by Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs makes the best bras that you can get your hands on. I'm talking like your breasts are going to feel cozy and supported in one of these puppies. And if you don't believe Alex, believe me. Believe Shane. Shane, what do you love about Bravado Designs? I love that you love them. And they say happy (laughs) wife is happy life. And it's never been more true since Alex started wearing her Bravado Designs bra. So I got hooked on the nursing collection. Hooked or or clipped? (laughs) Ooh, I like it. But I got I Is got, it hooks or clips? Well they use they use clips to like, you know, pull the nursing thing down, but there's still hooks at the back where you put it on. So okay. hooked and clipped okay. on their nursing collection. Uh when I was breastfeeding Lucy. And that's because Shane brought one home for me. And I loved it so much that even after I was done nursing, I still wore it because I loved the bra so much. But now you don't have to be like me because they have a new everyday collection, which has no clips. And you don't have to be a lactating person to be wearing it. So it's fantastic. And you can get the nursing bras online at bravadodesigns.com. Or you can head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. But regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree20 and you're going to get 20% off your order. Again, that is bravadodesigns.com and thisfamilytree20. And let's get back to our interview with Nikki. And okay, when it came to your pregnancy, because I used to do yoga a lot and then I actually, okay, I picked up, I was doing hot yoga about once a week mixed with regular yoga, but I picked up a staph infection from a moksha yoga clinic place room, almost lost my leg and my life. Oh my God. Yes. So I, it turned into, the staph infection turned into like a skin eating bacterial yeah, disease. Yeah, I'm and yeah, and now I have, <laughs> it's so disgusting. I have a spot on my leg where there's like a thin layer of skin, but there's no uh, muscle tissue underneath. And you can like kind of like poke through. It's it's so gross. It's so gross. Oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. But how long ago was that? It's fine. Um, Six years ago before I had my kids. Before okay. I, I think it was right when Shane and I were dating. And I remember because I I was trying to work and like this thing just kept spreading and like I couldn't walk. And then, you know, by the time I was in the hospital and they're pumping me full of antibiotics and like I'm like an emergency case. But Shane had to pick me up to like take me to the bathroom for the next two weeks just because I couldn't I couldn't move. Anyhow, everything's good. I still have my leg. I got lucky. But Pilates is something. I don't know why I digressed to that story. But, no, I actually have more questions about it, but I know that's not what you want to talk about today. <laughs> but what 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 was it in the in the studio? Was it a dirty mat? Like, I have what? no idea. I have no idea because like I cleaned my mats and like before I you know like, it was your own I, mat. Yeah, you using okay. no, it was my own. I don't know. Like I don't know if maybe my leg was like just touching the floor and maybe the floor wasn't clean. I, like, I, oh god, isn't that gross? No, like I don't, is is hot yoga? I mean, you and I are both in Ontario. Is hot yoga ever going to come back with COVID? I, like I, I don't. There's so many things that I did before that I don't think I'm going to even do anymore. Just because I'm like <laughs> things spread so quickly, and this whole if this whole pandemic taught me anything, it's how quick things spread and how gross people are. Like 
people they they do not mind sneezing all over something and sneezing in their hand and touching a door handle or I know. You know, know. like you think about like going bowling, right? Sticking your finger in that ball and then eating your nachos and then going bowling again. Like think about that, right? And we didn't think twice about that. And now you're like, I'm sorry, what? You want me to do what? No, you know, it's disgusting. You know, going to the gym even is another thing that I don't I don't know if I'm gonna continue just to work out at home. I like classes and I like like Pilates classes and bar classes, things like that. But I don't know if I can go and use like equipment at a busy gym anymore. Well, I'm not what sure. you went through is also pretty freaking traumatic. Well, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, but what I do want to know, because I am, I used to do Pilates a little bit. I, I stuck mo- mainly to yoga. Pilates, is that going to help me like tone up? How many times a week? This is totally separate from the conversation. How many times a week do I have to do it to tone up? I like being strong. I feel so weak, Nikki. Okay, I can help you, first okay. of all. <laughs> Second of all. So I'm not a fan of using like, just tone and tighten. You want to strengthen your muscles. So let's call them what it is, right? You're going to strengthen. I'm a noodle. I'm a noodle. I used to, like my thighs used to be powerful. Okay. I will say that like tree trunks in the best way possible. So powerful. I could squat amazing with like great weight, everything. Noodles now. It's, well, it's, it, horrendous. it's not easy with like what we've been through. I also can relate also with two kids. There's mm-hmm. less time. There's less sleep. There's just less energy to go around. And you're like, I could work out or I could take a nap. What's it going to be? Yeah, you know, I get it. I fully understand. And so I think we also have to recognize this is a season in your life. It's mm-hmm. not going to be like this forever. The research suggests to give you a quick answer, you need to do at least three 20 minute core focused exercises a week if you want to improve your core strength. And I'm talking specifically core, mm-hmm. right? Like, so if you want to really make gains in your muscle and you need to do something called progressive overload, so that's either more volume longer period of time, more endurance, more reps. So you can't just do the same workout for six weeks and think that's going to make a difference. You need to continuously, continuously push the edge of your capability Mm -hmm. and you have to push harder than you think you need to, um, without damaging your pelvic floor. We should probably talk about this whole peeing your pants situation. Well, yeah. Then, and that's a part of the thing. So I like exercising. I've done that, you know, forever. It's, it's just something that makes me feel good. And uh, I've had a problem running lately. So when I run, I leak a little bit. And I got to the point where I was really depressed about it. And Shane, my husband, he was just like, Alex, look, like you love this. You're a happier person in a day that you get a run in. And just like, wear a freaking diaper. Wear the same diapers that you wore after you gave birth. Like those like little Depends silhouettes because I hate pads. So I, I... started wearing those to run. And I don't even know if I should be running. Should I be running? No, nope. That's a hard no. So no diapers. Okay. <laughs> I know Shane's coming from a place of love, but Shane, I just need, I wish he was here right now. I'd be I like, know. okay, you're coming from a place of love, buddy, but you need to, so you need to see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. Yes. Have you yes. seen someone? I've been seeing them since um, my pregnancy with my first daughter. However, because of COVID, so I'm high risk. I have lupus. So we are living in a very tiny bubble. We haven't done shit for a year. Okay. So I've done a few virtual appointments, but I need what made the biggest difference from for me when I was postpartum with my first was the internal because my muscles were too tight and I had a problem relaxing. And I actually saw that you posted about that recently, that how Kegels aren't for everyone. 
So I was kind of even curious if you could talk about that now, because I had a few people write in asking, I'm pregnant. Should I start my Kegels now? And I was like, no, like see somebody first. But can you can mm-hmm. you touch on that? So, yeah, there's so, there's so <laughs> how much time do you have? Um, but basically, I'm like, I still want to talk about you and like fix you. But anyways, we're <laughs> generic advice. I appreciate um, it. Yeah. Okay. So let me just touch on running because there's a lot that just was said there. So there is research now that's that's physiotherapy based. It's actually just came out of the UK in 2019, and the earliest you should consider running postpartum is between three to six months. And that's presuming, right? So this whole six weeks you're cleared as total BS. So ignore that. That is the absolute earliest. And I actually have several posts on things that you need to be able to do like tests, physical tests. Like, can you, for example, can you run on the spot for 30 seconds without leaking? Can you hop on one leg 30 times per leg without leaking? Can you, you know, do forward bounds without leaking pain pressure? So there's all these litmus tests of things that you can do on your own without needing to see, you know, a pelvic floor PT. So you can leak because you're too tight, or as you know, you can leak because you're too lax. Okay. So essentially, you know, I know people are listening they can't see the fact that we're here on zoom talking and looking at each other's faces. So I will uh, try not to use my hands to demonstrate this stuff. I'll try to use my voice, but really it's like anything. Think of it as a range of motion issue. So if you are too weak, we're going to go with a, a 10 story building analogy. Okay. So ideally in a perfect world, our muscles are living on the ground floor. Mm-hmm. And when we ask you to do an engagement of your pelvic floor, we want you to go from the ground floor to the 10th floor and back down to the ground floor. That would represent a 100% contraction, but it sounds like you, Alex might be living on the fourth floor. So you're living on the fourth floor. You're so tight. You can't get down to the ground floor. Mm-hmm. And when I ask you to lift your pelvic floor, you can go from the fourth floor to the 10th floor and back down to the fourth floor. So that's only a 60% contraction because you're going from four to six, six floors. Okay. That's weak, but you're weak because you're tight. Mm -hmm. So instead of you being like, I'm leaking, I'm just going to ignore it. Not the answer. And wear a diaper, not the answer. (laughs) Or you're going to say, I'm just going to Kegel because I want to strengthen you're just going to continue going from the fourth floor to the 10th floor to the fourth floor, to the 10th floor. You need to learn how to relax and lengthen those muscles back down to the ground floor. Right. You need to learn to downtrain them before you can continue to uptrain them. So it's not that I don't want you to ever do Kegels. It's that that might not be the place for you to start. You may need to first lengthen lengthen and get that eccentric lengthening so that when you finally do that upward contraction, you have full range of motion. So what, so the only way I know how to do that right now is cat and cow. Is there, is there another way that I can, you know, easily kind of bring that into my daily routine? So I have a million, not a million, but I have many. (laughs) I have many. That's hyperbole. I have many pelvic floor release tips. I actually have a pelvic floor highlight on Instagram, you can go and check out. Anyone listening to this can check out. So yes, there are many exercises and stretches and mobilization Mm -hmm. things that you can do. But I want to touch on the fact that our pelvic floor is governed by our autonomic nervous system, meaning we don't recognize when it's clenched. No, I no idea. Right? You don't even know. 
And for example, have you ever had someone come and you don't realize that your shoulders are up in your ears and they'll be like, okay, I just want you to relax. And you're like, I'm totally relaxed. What's your problem? And then they touch your shoulder <laughs> yeah. and you're like, oh, actually, yeah, I was really tense in my shoulders. And you don't realize how tense you were in your neck and chaps until someone actually taps you on the shoulder. Mm -hmm. Similar with your pelvic floor. So again, scared dogs tuck their tails, mm -hmm. scared humans clench their pelvic floors it's all connected. So instead of me being like, okay, Alex, you just need to work on releasing. You need to work on that sending messages of safety to your pelvic floor to give your pelvic floor permission to let go permission to unclench. And I can't just yell it at it that it's, you're not having a baby anymore. Like I, that won't work. I think it's it's more about a place of essentially down-regulating your nervous system, mm -hmm. reducing inflammation in your body. And if you have lupus, I know you've you've kind of gone down that journey before, I'm yeah. sure, working on that. Mm -hmm. Reducing cortisol levels, just anything you can do to reduce that inflammation on every level is going to help reduce the tension in your pelvic floor. Okay. Okay. So yeah, you, you know what? Here, the other thing is too, I ha I'm not good with my cat and cow because it was the only thing I really had in my arsenal. So I was like, oh, this freaking thing, this one exercise I have isn't going to be enough to do anything. So I have, I have fallen off. So I will, I will check out what you have and I'm going to, uh, I will strengthen my collection of exercises for sure. Cause it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And I don't, have you heard of the Emsella chair? I've done it. You yeah. have. Okay. So I was recently talking to somebody about this, mm -hmm. um, Dr. Sinead Dufour. And yeah, she's my mentor. Is she yeah. really? Yeah. I spoke to her earlier th earlier this week. Amazing. Sorry. Yeah. So we were talking about the Amsella chair because mm -hmm. I was in talks with a clinic about possibly using one as like a supplementary tool. But I want I wanted to get more opinions from people, you know, who are involved with these kind of things. What you used it. I've done it. Yeah. It's really, it's really indicated for people who are suffering from incontinence. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I do think it's a good adjunctive therapy. It's a good additional therapy in addition to pelvic floor right. physiotherapy, which is the gold standard for treating incontinence. Mm -hmm. So unless there's a reason that you can't have an internal exam, I would recommend doing both. Right. An internal pelvic floor physio as well as the Mcella. I tried the Mcella just because people ask me about it and I wanted to be able to, mm -hmm. to you know, to talk about it. I don't have incontinence. So I didn't, I'm not a traditional candidate for yeah. the chair, but I did postpartum this last baby a year ago, have a bit of low, low, low sort of slight bladder prolapse. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, you know, I had, I had bronchitis in my pregnancy. I was coughing a ton and that coughing is really connected to having mm -hmm. issues with prolapse postpartum. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. And, uh, and I did it in conjunction with a pelvic floor PT my, my colleague, so we both actually did it. We have a podcast as well. And so she did it and she also has leaking when she runs also because she's got too much tension in her pelvic floor. So sounds exactly like you. So she did notice that it made a difference for her symptoms, but you know, I remember one time I was like, you know, Lexi, are you doing this? And she's just like, I'm not doing my homework. And I was like, well, <laughs> it's not going to work. Just like you, you've got to do yeah, yes. your exercise. You've got to do the stuff, right? Or yeah. you can't expect to sit on a chair and do nothing for a month. And that's that one time of sitting on a chair is going to no, be enough. Absolutely. It's meant to support you in the journey, but it's not a replacement for all the other things. Mm -hmm. Well, full disclosure to listeners. So the opportunity to try one out has been offered to me for free right? So I could talk about it. If I like it, possibly I could talk about it. But I've just been so nervous because a, a big part of me was thinking this sounds like such a scam. 
you know, and I there's just, a lot of research behind it. Yeah. And I know, and it's, it's pretty expensive treatment. And so you're sort of like, eh, I don't know, is it really worth it? But you know, they have put a lot of research behind it and you know, the company is really well respected. They mm. make some really, really high end stimulation company. Actually also it's called BTL is the mm. name of the company. And I think they're out of the Czech Republic, but they were commissioned by NASA to create muscle stim devices for astronauts who can't oh, wow. work out in space. So it's it's like, if you think about it, you're in space, you can't, you yeah. can't exercise. Yeah. You need to come up with technology that can make sure you don't have muscle wasting when you're floating around in zero gravity. So this is legit. Like this is a legit company. I think the machines are like a Ferrari. Like this That's is no wild. joke. So in terms of the cost. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and honestly, like, I think, I don't think that it's going to have a, a crazy impact for everybody. So mm-hmm. for example, me, I didn't, it wasn't like a huge thing. Did it help my pelvic floor? Yeah, I'm sure it did, but I can't really say, cause I didn't have symptoms. My, my, you know, but if you have symptoms, um, it's not going to hurt you. If anything, it will just help rebalance out your pelvic floor muscles. Okay. Very cool. And I appreciate that insight. I have just a couple more questions. One is a community question. I've had a few people want to know, is there anything they can do during pregnancy to help prepare themselves for labor so that they're not pushing forever? Oh yeah. I have an eight week, I have an eight week push prep course just on this. Yeah. Enter plug. No, for real. It's, there's a lot that you can do. And, and, you know, and I have actually tons, as you know, of free information on my Instagram account, but if you really want the guidance, then yeah, you should totally do our eight week course. This came out of a place of need because so I've had, I was very fortunate to have had two great, amazing birth experiences. Um, but I was shocked after I had no epidural, everything was going well. It was like, awesome. I was in the hospital with my first and I remember they're like, okay, it's time to push. And I was like, I'm pushing. They're like, no, you're not. I was like, no, I'm, I'm pushing. I'm going to blossom this baby out. Cause of course but we're all so afraid of tearing. Right. I'm like, no, I'm just going to like, think I'm like, yeah. trying to like Nikki, you got to push. And, and it was almost an hour. And finally my head of my doula there. Um, and she's just like, Nikki, you need to use your core. And I was like, oh, my God, I get it now. And like a light <laughs> went above my house. And I, I swear I used my core in that. And, and she was born like one, two pushes later. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, this is crazy. How come? And I know. And they're like, you're a Pilates teacher. Of course, you know how to engage your core. But no one connected to mm-hmm. me. You need to use your core when you're pushing. Yeah. Like it was just like, what? And I'm like, this, this needs to be taught, you know? And so essentially your uterus does the bulk of pushing for you. Mm -hmm. You need to learn to ride those contractions. You need to learn how to position yourself ideally where your pelvic outlet can be open. We talk about different types of breathing, depending on what stage of labor you're in. We teach you how to really wrap your core. We call it hugging the baby because that's the way you're going to engage your transversus abdominis, your deepest layer of core muscles. That's what I had to do. Finally, my baby finally came out once I did that wrapping of my core. So these are all of the things that that essentially we teach. So it's like a 45-minute workout mm-hmm. live each week, and it's followed by a 45-minute lecture. And each week we talk about a different thing. So whether it's reducing ab separation, diastasis recti, prolapse, incontinence, working on learning how to advocate for yourself, which is a big one, right? In that moment, we often feel like we we can't really speak up for what it is that we're Absolutely. hoping you know, so many topics, pain management, um, birth partner tips, all that stuff. So yeah. 
That's fantastic. No, that's so good. And, you know, I always, I had an episiotomy with my first. So they both came out quick. My first came out in 12 minutes. My second came out in like three to five minutes. Like just so fast at loose. Uh, sorry, Betty, my youngest took, I think I pushed three times and just like she was out. I was laughing the whole time. Like it was just a great experience. And meanwhile, like I, I was fully medicated because I, I had a high risk birth. So I was induced at epidural and it was a really lovely experience despite all of the intervention. But of course, it is different for, for everybody. And I have a few friends who were prepared to have a medical birth. And like we were saying before, we have to give ourselves up to the unknown. Their babies just started coming and they weren't prepared. And they, a few people that I know, and I would have been in the same position, had really traumatic birth experiences because they had no... They had no idea of what to do, of how to handle themselves. And honestly, I would have been in the same position. So that thought scares the shit out of me because on, I, like, I, I just wouldn't know what to do. I think I'd just, I'd start bawling my eyes out. Like, I, I really don't know. I think we need to reduce the fear of birth. I think so much is is the fear of birth mm -hmm. in our culture. And like, I, you know, I get mad when I watch Grey's Anatomy and I see the way they show women birthing and they're screaming. Swearing. Like there's, there's <laughs> nothing wrong with making noise when you're yeah. birth, right? But it's this idea that like, get the woman on her back with her legs in the stirrups and push, push, tuck your chin, count to 10. We know based on the, the evidence you know, in the SOGC and the AIDS, these, these are the societies of obstetricians mm -hmm. and gynecologists in Canada. We know the evidence is there. This is not the best way to deliver your baby. It's going to make your pushing longer. It's going to make your birth longer. It's worse for your pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of reasons why it's, but yet we're still doing it. There are so many outdated practices. So there's, that's my whole other rant, but in general, what can we do to empower women to be like, you know what? you can do this. And here are some tools, right? Education is power. And Absolutely. that's where I'm coming from. So you don't need to be scared no matter what. Basically, how can you be prepared no matter what happens? And I had to transfer to the hospital when I was eight centimeters dilated. Oh my God. I was trying to have a home birth with my second and there was a meconium, meaning if you're not sure what yeah. that is, basically my water broke and it was brown. So the baby had pooped inside. And whenever you see amniotic fluid, has, has broke your waters have broken and it's Brown. That's like really dangerous for the baby, right? Cause they can aspirate, they can inhale that when they're coming down the birth canal. So they were like, you got to get to the hospital. Now we're going to either call the ambulance. You're going to drive really fast on the highway. What's it going to be? Oh my God. Oh my God. You know, and, and these are things that you can't control. This is what I'm saying, right? Like I teach the birth prep class and mm -hmm. I can't control meconium or not. So thankfully all was okay. My husband, bless his heart, is a really slow driver. And I was like, drive faster. <laughs> <laughs> well, he would have ended up, we actually, we have friends that recently on the 407 outside of Toronto gave birth on the highway. Wow. And I, you know what? I see how that can happen. It, yes. That could have been me. Yes. yes. And it was only the two of them there. So it was, they had to wait 10 minutes for the ambulance to get there. Like it, it was a wild situation. But again, that's, you know, the, the very minimum amount of people that are going through things. If you're, you know, listening, you don't have kids yet. Don't be scared. <laughs> and everything worked out fine. I'm curious, if you were to give one piece of advice to a woman who was newly pregnant in order to prepare for the birth, my tip is always perineum massage. Start massaging your perineum now 
I didn't do that. I had the episiotomy. It was awful. I did it with my second and things were better. Perennial massage. What would be yours? Interesting. I want to add to that. Mm -hmm. So I just recently interviewed a friend of mine who created this perennial massage wand that's meant to help you. And she's like, like, don't ever... (laughs) Well, that could be. It's called the Kegel release curve. She's like, don't ever have your partner do it for you. That was her tip. Mm, Why is that? Do it yourself because if your partner, even if they watched all the YouTube videos and like you know, right in there, best of intentions, if they pull too hard on your perineum, if they stretch and they put too much pressure, then that can cause an overprotection response where you're sort of like, oh, that didn't feel good. And then that can start to develop a neurological circuit of your brain telling your pelvic floor to guard from pain. So that's very counterproductive as you're approaching birth. So do it, but you be the one in control. Don't have someone else go down there. I thought you were going to say, because then things are going to get, you know, go along the other lines and then you're going to forget about the perineum massage because you'll get carried away with something oh, else. Oh God, no, that's no, 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 no there's nothing wrong say. with that. <laughs> no, it's, it's the overprotection. So for instance, you know, it's almost like then you're sort of like, I'm trying to yield, I'm trying to relax, yeah. but it hurts. So I'm going to tense. That's very counterproductive. Um, leading up to so birth. So that's just to, to add on the perineal massage. Oh, that's tip. the best. Yeah. So you do it yourself. Moral <laughs> well, of the story. What other tips would I get? I think it's really about educating yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of, of women who, you know, may have a desired outcome with their birth. But the reality is these days is that if you really know what it is that you want, there are certain things that can help you achieve that and, and being informed. And also I want to touch a little bit on, on birth trauma and, and it's a very heavy topic and it's unfortunately rising in our culture. And so what can we do about that? And I don't want anyone listening to this podcast to become a number of someone who mm-hmm. says that they feel like they've experienced it. So right. how do you avoid it? And I want to say it's not necessarily what happens to you. So there are people that can have an emergency cesarean, for example, and not feel traumatized. And then there are people who can have a quote unquote natural birth and feel very traumatized. So I think what matters is that you feel seen, you feel heard, your wishes feel like they've been respected, and you've been part of the decision-making process throughout your labor, your pregnancy, your labor, and your delivery. So specifically in terms of how do you prepare, choose your hospital and your care providers carefully. Ask questions. So you might say, well, I really want, if you really, if if having a vaginal unmedicated birth is important to you, then what can you do to increase the chances of that happening? You know, I, for example, in Toronto, chose a different hospital that was 45 minutes further away from me because it has a lower C-section rate than the one closest to me. I'm not kidding. I was like, I'm going to the hospital far away because I like their care model better than the one that's more convenient. So this is what I mean. Become your own advocate, Mm -hmm. do the research, get get educated and ask those questions. Don't be afraid to be a squeaky wheel. This is your birth. This matters. And I do believe that birth can have a, a lifelong impact on us as women. And so, you know, you deserve to have the best possible outcome. No, I think that's I think that's amazing. And I think that that succinctly describes you and the Bell Method and what you stand for. 
you know, helping women achieve the best possible outcome for themselves and helping women advocate for themselves, which is so important in, in every regard. But so many regards. Right? Yes. <laughs> um, but Nikki, you are you are so wonderful. Where can listeners go to find you, your podcast, your programs, everything? Thank you. First of all, thank you for having me. Oh and my I'm, God, it was a pleasure. And then even when we hop off this this chat, I'm happy to help you with your pelvic floor stuff. <laughs> Thank you. <I laughs> no more it. diapers, girl. No more diapers, please. <laughs> you can find me at thebellmethod.com, B-E-L-L-E. You can find me at the Bell Method on Instagram and the podcast, which is relatively new. We started it in the fall. It's called the We Go There podcast, and it's about women's health information. We interview like the doctors. I'm actually about to hop off this and interview someone for my own podcast, nice. all on UTIs. So we're going to be talking fun. urinary tract, a whole hour of UTIs. So Get ready. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Nikki, again, thank you so, so much. And I'm so happy to now be acquainted with you, even if it's virtually. But it was so nice to spend time talking to you today. Yeah, you too. And I hope you enjoy the weekend. Oh, I certainly will. Hope the same for you. <laughs> Take care. Uh-huh. Bye. Good job, Al. Thanks, babe. Lots of vagina talk, lots of pelvic floor talk, lots of labor talk, just the way I like it. And, you know, thanks to Nikki for sharing so much of her story so candidly. I do think talking about things like IVF is always so eye-opening. And, you know, for me, like, I have a lot of friends who have gone through that. And it really helps me to be more empathetic and, like, you know, figure out how I can be supportive and be a better friend in those situations. But again, super knowledgeable. And I hope that all of our listeners now have just a whole arsenal of pelvic floor knowledge at their disposal. Speaking of knowledge, this is the mailbag segment. This is is where we take, I say we, but it's just you, Alex, who take listener questions, you research them, you answer them. And then right now you're going to report back and see what you came up with. It's true. It's true. Okay. So hold on. Okay, I'll fill in with some small talk. So, what uh, what day is it today? It is Saturday evening, eight fifty five p.m. Okay, babe, we're ready. <laughs> so, Does the throat clearing need to sorry, be right into sorry. the mic? <laughs> okay, the first question: What is Canadian maternity leave like? What does it include? So. Not everybody in Canada gets maternity leave. Uh, Specifically, if you are self-employed, you do not automatically get maternity leave. You have to be contributing to EI in order to get it. Uh, But essentially, Canada offers, if you are contributing, they have a parental leave. So the government offers paid leave for one or both of the baby's parents through Canada's employment insurance plan, that's EI. And a pregnant employee or new mother can take a paid pregnancy leave of up to 15 weeks. And then after that, either parent, so the mother or the father, or it can be split, uh, can take 35 weeks of parental leave after the baby is born or adopted. So in Canada, you know, you get a percentage of your money, whether it's like 60% or I'm not exactly sure what it is, uh, but you can decide if you want to get that set amount of money over 12 months or over 18 months. So if you're doing it over the 18-month plan, you don't get more money. You get the same amount of money, but in smaller increments. However, you get job security. But yeah, that's that's essentially it. And again, you have to be already contributing to EI. Uh, and if you're self-employed, then you have to either contribute to EI through your own business, or you have to be putting away your own savings. So it can get very tricky. But yeah, I'm very lucky. And I, I've 
really enjoyed my maternity leaves. I'm so grateful that I've had the opportunity to do that. Do you regret not going for that 18 months? Yes. Yes. Very much. No further questions. (laughs) Okay. Next question. How do you entertain your three-year-old nephew, Archie, for four days? Very specific question. Shane, do you know who wrote this? I would assume your friend Veronica's sister? No. It is our head comedy writer and friend, Jillian Smart. Whoa. (laughs) So it looks like Jillian Smart, who we employ to help make us uh, creative (laughs) and and funny. So she's an awesome comedian and she is, I guess, going to watch. She's she's young. She's what, like 23? Yeah. She's brilliant. And she is currently engaged to her equally funny uh, fiance. I wouldn't Trev. say equally funny. No, she no, is I'm more kidding. funny. No, Trev's great. <laughs> but uh, so they do not have kids, but it looks like she's going to be watching her nephew for four days. So Jillian, you better be listening because uh, yes, you she's better not be supporting. Listening, I assure you. <laughs> she's just trying to help us out. But I say splash pads. Disney Plus, get a subscription, steal somebody else's password. You can use ours if you want. Buy cake stuff, bake cakes, bake brownies. Kids love that. It's a good sensory oh, activity. Kids love thinking that they're helping you bake yes. a cake. Yes. And it's so fun. Like, let them put the sprinkles on it, all that stuff. Let them make a mess. If all goes to hell, Jill, this is important. If all goes to hell, you need a reset, you need a break. Popsicle bath or Lego bath. Essentially the same thing. Fill up the bathtub. With popsicles. No. <laughs> Every square inch of that tub needs to be filled with a popsicle. No. Fill Sounds up the bathtub. Pricey. Throw on their bathing suit. It's like it's like a fun pool. Give them a popsicle. They eat the popsicle in the bathtub. They can make a mess. You don't have to worry about popsicle getting everywhere. Or just get a bin of Lego. Throw it in the bath. The Lego gets clean. The kid can play Lego in the tub. You sit there for 45 minutes and chill. Everybody's happy. Do you have anything to add? No, that was that was good. Yeah, I, I've never heard the Lego thing before. I heard the popsicle bath. Lego's new, and I like it. All right. So next question: Baby stage or teenager stage? Which do you think will be harder? I think the teenager stage because baby stage is like even if your kid is upset. Are you kidding? Having me? well, if they're having emotions that they can't control, they still love you and they still want to hug you and tell you that they love you. And with teenagers, the problems are just so big, and like the problems get more serious, and no, the don't. kids get snappy and Come like on. mean. How, they get, once if they're a teenager, I'm assuming like mid teens, they're old enough to babysit children. Do you yeah. know what that means? We can be at pillar and post partying it up. <laughs> It's an easy stage. Trust me. (laughs) They want to be with their friends. They don't really care about us. And yeah, maybe it's like cute to have a little baby, but that baby needs so much care. Shane, babies can't get drunk, do drugs, get pregnant, get in situations where they can be in danger. No, but we can when we have a teenagers. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next question. Vagina steaming. What? What? (laughs) what is it and why do people do it so this is this has become have you ever had a steaming vagina no no and if so what did i do to make it that way? listen okay so this has become a very uh popular thing with celebrities i i think thanks to gwyneth paltrow who through goop has been talking about it and here's the thing i loved the goop lab like gwyneth paltrow show like 
it was super interesting. Shane, we watched it together. We had so much fun yeah. watching it. But when you watch these things and when you read things like this, you know, alternative medicines, you have to remember that it is, they're alternative medicines, even if they've been around for a very long time. Uh, and you need to be very careful about what you do to your body. So I'm going to get into it now. So vaginal steaming, uh, it essentially directs herb-infused steam into your vagina. So this has been practiced by people in Africa, Asia, and Central America for, you know, thousands of years. It is nothing new. Gwyneth is just repackaging it and selling it to white women in North America through Goop. And it's it's now, you know, regaining popularity or gaining popularity for the first time in these in our culture. So the herbs, I was looking into this because just it that it sounds so unnecessary, right? It so the herbs that they use, uh, they can be used alone or in combination with each other. It's typically thing I don't even know all these things. Mugwort, wormwood, chamomile, calendula, basil, and oregano. So like basil and oregano, you're gonna smell like a pizza or something, but mugwort, I don't know what that is. Wormwood is what we drink in our absinthe, my dear. And chamomile, it's like my tea and calendula. I think we have calendula tea as well. So it's just, it's interesting. Anyhow, I'm going to keep going. Vaginal steaming is used as a natural remedy. So this is what vaginal steaming purports to do. Okay. And again, just what it purports to do. Vaginal steaming is used as a natural remedy for cleaning the vagina, uterus, the entire reproductive tract. That's a big job. But the purported claims don't stop there. It also allegedly relieves stress, depression, hemorrhoids, infections, infertility, hormone imbalances, headaches, fatigue, digestive issues, and generalized pain. So essentially, people who are, you know, selling this in spas and things like that are kind of selling it as a cure-all. Uh, but there is no scientific research to prove whether it is safe or not. And like, really, your vagina isn't meant to be steam cleaned. You shouldn't even use soap there. Like we, we know that by now because your vagina is so self-sufficient at cleaning itself. So using those things, as I'm sure a lot of you know, if you have gotten bacterial vaginosis or yeast infection, a lot of those things only cause an overgrowth of one bacteria or yeast or something, which, you know, changes your pH balance and causes some kind of infection. So your vagina is best left alone. And, you know, your skin down there is very delicate. It's very sensitive and it is easily traumatized. So using it as like, you know, the the target for this really hot steam may actually cause vaginal burns or scalding. And, you know, if you have had a vaginal birth and you've had trauma down there before, you know that that is hard to heal from and that's very painful. So one benefit that I actually found from this might be that the moist heat from the steam could increase blood flow to the vaginal area, but it's not well studied. And then again, the moist heat might cause more problems than it actually solves. But considering that, if you want to do that, do a sits bath, just soak in a warm tub with Epsom salt, something like that, and it will have the same effect. But really, this is mainly done for, you know, cultural reasons, but really there are no proven health benefits. Serious question. Can I steam my penis? I wouldn't. Next question. Why do you think periods have become worse during the pandemic? I didn't know this was a thing. I didn't know this was the thing. I thought maybe my own became longer. 
but I just thought that was like a because you know, I had Betty. You know my joke about periods that are extreme. What? I call them exclamation points. Ha uh-huh. ha. <laughs> oh, you laughed your butt off when I said that before. When did you say it before? You laughed so hard when I said it. It is funny. And you were like, did you come up with that? And I was like, I did. <laughs> you recounting that is really funny. You have a terrible memory. I know, I know. So when I say it now, you're like, bah, but you loved it at one point. <laughs> yeah. The only reason I brought it up was because how much you loved it. No, I, you know, honestly, I bet I did. It's like, were we talking on our last date night about like 50 first dates? It's like some days you'd be able to get me and some days you wouldn't. It's like jokes. Some yeah. days they hit, some days they don't. Well, because I, uh, how I used it was I was like kind of like Ronnie Dangerfield. I was like, my wife doesn't get periods. She gets exclamation points. <laughs> See, there we go. Okay, go. You said to put on the voice. Yeah. All right. So anyhow, I looked into this and apparently 53% of women, and again, this is from a small group studied, but they've said that there has been a change to their menstrual cycle, including longer menstrual cycles, which I feel like I've experienced during this pandemic. So essentially the pandemic, like there's lots of reasons for this. And if you are more interested in it than what I go through here, research it on your own. But uh, the pandemic has disrupted our normal routines, obviously, and it's jacked up all of our anxiety. I don't care who you are. Your anxiety is higher than it probably normally is. And because stress levels can impact your menstrual cycle and because stress levels can impact your menstrual cycle, as do changes in your work schedules and your sleep routines, your eating habits and your exercise routines, it's not surprising that our cycles are changing too. And coping mechanisms and distractions like going to the gym, going out with friends, going to work, they're not there. So we're kind of sitting and languishing and feeling things more. And all of these things, I think, from what I have researched, have contributed to this happening. So again, this was something that I I didn't even know this was a thing. So uh, thank you to the question asker for kind of enlightening me here. I love the word languishing. (laughs) It's It's a good word. I like it too. All right, so next question. Why can some relationships survive cheating and others not even want to give it a second chance? So I think it all comes down to forgiveness, whether you are able to forgive that person, whether you are willing to, and just like whether you physically can, because I I know that sometimes even if you are willing to and you want to try, it's impossible because cheating poisons a relationship from every angle and it causes so many more problems. So you have to really be willing to do more work than you deserve. And like, if you get cheated on, you deserve all the empathy in the world. It's going to be really hard, but then you have to put in so much work to make it work again. And for most people, it's going to be more work than you're willing to do more work than you think that person deserves more work than you probably think you know, it's it's a lot to ask of somebody who has been hurt. So I think it it comes down to that. Yeah, and it, uh, self-esteem, it comes down yeah. to two. And it, and in some cases, it comes, comes simply down to how much do I like this person? Mm-hmm. If you're already looking for an excuse out and that person cheats on you, it's like, oh, thank goodness. Now I don't have to feel bad about breaking up with yeah. them. And usually if the relationship's bad anyway, the likelihood of cheating might be up. I don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Again, I'm talking out my butt, and this time I do mean literally. (laughs) All right, next question. Which podcast were you most nervous to interview? I know you were most nervous with Dr. Drew. (laughs) 
Like you <laughs> well, had like recently. a big that's, crush on him or something. No, that's just recent. He was, but I think in all time, I was most nervous for Bursa Pai because she was our first kind of bigger interview. Okay. And then after it, I was like, geez, like why was I so nervous? I was so angry at myself for being nervous because I felt like I stifled myself. Mm-hmm. And it could have been... I could have been so much better in that. And you know what? We're getting our second chance. We might be interviewing her again uh, this summer, which is great. She's got a big schedule, but we uh, have a penciled in date. And I plan to redeem myself. Yeah, I think for me it was Alyssa Milano. Because mm. in my mind, excited. I was just like, that's such a big deal. So big. Sonia Curry, I was excited yes big time yes well simon rex i was also really nervous for because i had like some like kind of risque questions so i was really nervous for that oh yeah you went for it i was like really (laughs) i I was like practicing beforehand (laughs) i was really nervous for that one okay next question victoria's secret will no longer have angels what are your thoughts well i just i'm learning this now so let me take this in here yeah i'm mad (laughs) no that's yeah, that's infuriating. Well, let no, me, I'm kidding. Let, like, me, let, me, let me tell you the reason. So I didn't know this either. I looked into why. So it's it's great. Uh, basically, Victoria's Secret said angels are no longer relevant, which they aren't. Like, who the hell cares about a bunch of women, hot women, modeling underwear for women that look nothing like them? So Victoria's Secret is ditching the angels, the supermodels who get a lot of help from surgeons to look the way they do. In favor of activists and other inspiring women. So they are having for their, the, they're like changing their entire brand. And two of the faces of their brand, from what I read, are going to be Joe Jonas's wife. No, yes, no, yes. no, not Joe. Priyanka. Nick Jonas's. No, I think, is it? I forget which yeah, Jonas. Joe is the one with the thicker eyebrows. I don't Nick know is what the youngest. Like even. Yeah. Priyanka Chopra Jonas and Megan Rapinoe, the soccer player. So she's an equality, a gender equality activist, and they're going to become two of the new faces of the brand, which is like so cool. It's so cool. I love that. But doesn't Nick Jonas's wife have a very unattainable look and body? Well, it's, I think it's more natural than. Oh, OK. I just like when I look at her, I'm like, wow, you don't know. She's yeah, she's yeah, she's, she's incredibly, incredibly uniquely beautiful. <laughs> and, and I would say, yeah. So I, I see what they're doing, and obviously yeah. everything and is marketing. I was, it's all a cash grab. It's still a cash grab. However, if companies are going to market in more inspiring women who – and here's the thing. The angels can be inspiring. But if they're going to market women on their merits beyond how they look and value women for you know beyond what their bodies look like, screw it. That's way better for our society than valuing women solely on how they look. So I know it's a marketing thing, but well, let's F see. It, it's better. Let's in wait my and mind. see if they get people who actually look and have body types of most women out there. Yeah, like in absolutely, because like even Megan Rapinoe, I mean, she's a professional athlete and she is so incredibly fit, but still more attainable, I think, than like. What Candace Swanpole? I don't know any of these names. But <laughs> <laughs> it right. sounded like a good point. Like Candace Swanpool. I wonder if what did Marky Mark do? Calvin Klein and Justin. Uh, Calvin Klein, yeah. I wonder if they'll ever ditch the whole like ab thing and just do regular dudes in underwear. But society's already on board with that. Like society loves the dad bod; they hate the mom bod. 
Okay, but let's show that dad. I'm not saying it's the same. I'm saying this mm-hmm. is not an and- equivalent. But I wonder, I'm just out of curiosity. I wonder if they'll ever fully embrace it. Like you're saying, it's already embraced. Why not have me in a Calvin Klein ad? Do it. Do it. Calvin Klein, hire Shane. He's a dad. He's got a body. Hire him. He looks good in undies. But truly, make people, make everybody feel better in the bodies that they have. I, I, I totally think that that's a good way to go. Yeah. But next question. Is there a pivotal moment in your lives that completely changed your course? Like if that thing, person, place never happened, you would not be where you are now. Yes. I'll start. I'll give you a second to think. I already have it. It would be, (laughs) for me, seeing Mad Max. What? (laughs) The new Mad Max in theater with my ex-boyfriend. Because he hated it. I paid for the movie. I freaking loved it. And that was just the last straw. And I was like, this is it. Broke up with him the second we got home from that movie. Was free to meet Shane. Some people call you petty, Alex. But (laughs) I am not one of those. I fully support that decision. It did change my life. For me, it was... The, and I, I talk about this all the time. So if you've heard this before, I'm sorry, but I'm not I'm not going to go on and on. It was just uh, my mother's boyfriend was cheating on her and I made a documentary about it. And that documentary became very popular and that got me a lot of attention. And that attention made me feel like I could make it in film or television. And with that confidence, I pursued it wholeheartedly and I ended up working in that field successfully. I guess some, <laughs> some people argue that I, I, it's a career and I'm happy with it. So yeah. And here's the thing. And because you work in that field, because of that, because of your expertise in filmmaking, you did the music videos that we met on. And then it was like this whole, it's like every little thing spirals and turns into all the other things, you know? All right. Next question. Have you ever ridden a horse? I have a couple times. I hate it. It's scary. And have you ever seen Gone with the Wind? Their kid dies on a horse. I'm never letting my kids go on a horse. People always used to tell me I look like Christopher Reeve. And then he got in that horrific mm. accident. And I do not like horses. I do not like motorcycles. I've uh, to the, it, I've had experiences with people who have been terribly injured on both those things. And I do not like it. Yeah, no, neither do I. Scary, scary. Next question. How's the book going? Did we talk about this on our date night? We got into it I recently. I try never to mention the book again. No, well, I was have I had a little breakdown about it recently too because I have no time and it's I really felt myself when I was working on it and I felt so good and I thought it was so good and I thought I was doing good work. And now that I've taken a break from it, I feel like it was bad a work. Break. two month break I feel like it's bad work and I feel like I need to start over and I know that I'm wrong because I know that it was good and I felt I truly felt good about it uh, about my starting point anyway but I I hate not working on it and I want to I want to start working on it again well what do you what sort of habits are you willing to put in to make that happen I need two weeks I can write it in two weeks if I have no kids to watch and Nothing to do. I kill it in crunch time. Shane, you know that. Yeah, that this is all excuses. No, I'm just I'm just saying. You're never going to get two weeks in a row. What are you talking about? I don't know. I'm going to some book retreat. Book retreat. Alex, put it. You were no, you all know what about- I need? You know what I need? I need Lucy in daycare. I need Nona here every day. No, listen to me. You were all about good habits when you were doing good habits. Mm-hmm. Now, then once you broke away from the good habits, you're like, 
the good habits don't work. It's no, you, life got caught up and the habits went out the window. Start good habits again, realistic habits. You're never gonna get two weeks, okay? This retreat isn't gonna happen. And that carrot dangling over you is your procrastination tool to say, once I get the two weeks, once I find this window. So how about two hours? Like that, that is even still tough to get That's two hours so of work. That's so hard. That's so hard. Because I can't do oh, it at night. Now you're on my page. No, I, I can't do it at night because my brain, if you're a parent, obviously, you know, Shane actually works okay at night. I can't work past five, past bedtime. Once mm-hmm. I put the kids yeah, to bed, tired. I'm checked out. So yeah, got to do it in the morning somehow. So don't worry about when you can't do it. Think about when can you and implement a time, even if it's a very sh- small mm-hmm. amount of time. And put, throw away the excuses and just do it. Well, if you really want it, you'll do it. You know what was working well was the half hour a day because I kept up with that for a couple months and I was loving yeah. it and I was and getting lost And don't put pressure on that half hour. Mm-hmm. If nothing happens, if no inspiration strikes you, you oh, just... Well, I just edited. It was great. Like yes. I was really loving that. Anyhow, how's the book going? Terribly at the moment, but I plan to change that because I felt better when I was writing. Last question. What is your favorite thing about parenting and what is the worst? My favorite thing is just watching kids who love you and who you love grow up and watching them do new things and say new things and just like become more of themselves every day. Like every time Lucy says something new, like whenever she picks up a new word or picks up a new like expression or tries to tell a joke, it's honestly the best thing I've ever heard in my life and it makes me so happy and I get such a kick out of it and it's so fun and like I can't get enough out of it it's just so exciting and it's so fulfilling and I think the worst thing is for me the worry and you know am I doing enough for them am I doing this part right is I just, I want them to be okay and I want them to be happy and I want them to be fulfilled. And I think TikTok is actually screwing me up. All the kids on TikTok, like all like the teenagers and 20 year olds are so negative. They all hate their parents. They probably, you know, some of them could have had the best childhoods, I'm sure. And they blame their parents for this trauma. Everything is traumatic for them. And I'm just like, I hope when she's that age, she will love us and appreciate us and not you know, blame every ill of the world on us. So I, I want to, I don't know, that part is where something scares me. The best part is someone saying daddy. Oh, yeah. It's very good. Uh, today, <clears throat> when we came home from our trip, Lucy, she baked me a cake for Father's Day and she was so excited. She's like, daddy. And she gave me a big hug. <laughs> she grabbed me by the hand. And she showed me her cake. It was very sweet. And the worst part is my freedoms being robbed from me. <laughs> so it went from me crying about that to crying about another like crying about how sweet lucy is to being like oh i i don't have as much spontaneity in my life anymore where on a friday night it seemed like anything was possible beforehand and i do mean like even when you and i were in Mm -hmm. a relationship it was just like what are we gonna do tonight what's Mm -hmm. gonna happen what funny thing and now life's just more predictable and routine and you can Get into slumps easier mm-hmm. when it's like that because you can be bored easier. Mind you, there's also a lot more spontaneous things happen with the kids and unexpected yeah. whatevers. But I mean, it's just I can't just go out for a walk right now. Mm-hmm. 
I guess I could. You could. Should, I was just gonna say because I'd, I'd, I'd feel I'd feel bad if because no. we can't both go up yeah. for a walk. And what I would really want to do is say, let's go for a walk right now. We can you do laps. We can do laps in the backyard. Exactly. So it's just the inability to do anything yeah. I want at any time I want. I do miss that. Yeah. No. I, and I think that's so relatable for every parent. And then it's like given. It's you know. It's I don't know. It's tough stuff because I, I love here's the thing I love and I find so much comfort in the routine and in the sameness but then at the same time it's like why had so much fun last night it would be so great but here's the thing that time's gonna come again and we have you know all, we have such a short time before our kids are like going out with their friends and everything like that in the evenings and when we'll have all the time in the world to walk so it's like I don't know. I'm, but will we have the energy to walk? And will we have the energy to go out and set the night on Shane, fire? Of course we will. Okay. <laughs> Just because before we had kids, we still had a routine. I still had a routine every day. Babe, we're going to have all the energy. Okay. Well, thank you for listening to <laughs> This, this Family, Family Tree, Tree Podcast. Podcast. Episode 91. <laughs>